Hi, this is Mark Newbold from Panther Tracks, and you're listening to the Rebel Base Card Podcast. Great pull, kid. Uh, everything's under control, situation normal, but uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? You found something. You found the Rebel Base Card Podcast. What a piece of junk. I'm your host, Greg McLaughlin. Just as clumsy as he is stupid. Join me as we discuss Star Wars trading cards and card collecting. We need a statement, not a manifesto. We'll talk about sets from the original vintage. No, no, the one I'm pointing to. All the way to current releases. This? Yes. All right, let's get started. Commence primary ignition. Welcome back, or if this is your first episode, welcome aboard. My name is Greg McLaughlin, and this is the Rebel Base Card Podcast. Good show for you. My guest is Mark Mulcaster of Fanthatrax. In addition to being on some of their podcasts, Mulcaster wears a few other hats, including his duties as commander of the UK's Rebel Legion's Elstree base, as well as being in the 501st UK Garrison and the UK Vok Chai clan of the Mando Mercs. He also is an avid bass player who may or may not show up to a gig with a Star Wars t-shirt. Mark was incredibly generous to give up some of his time and give a great overview of how those cosplay groups, among other things, work with folks to get those outfits of theirs in shape. His collection is amazing, and we get a chance to talk about that. Plus, we talk about his role on Making Tracks, co-hosting with friend of the show Mark Newbold, who's been on the show a few times himself, and I think I even snuck him into the celebration one here a few months back. Mark Mulcaster also has a birthday in August, and I just wanted to be one of many to wish him a happy birthday. We'll be back with my conversation with Mark here shortly, but I just need to knock out a few quick homestead-keeping notes to keep old Uncle Owen off my back. You can waste time with your friends when your chores are done. Now, come on, get to it. Hi, this is David Motters. And I'm Aaron Harris of Star Wars Reaction Podcast. And you're listening to the Rubble Base Card Podcast. Great pull, kid. Carabas! Carabas! Perfect. <laughs> I like that better. All right, just on the homestead keeping front, uh, it's amazing that we see sort of the end of convention season. Um, C2E2 was just a couple weekends ago, and I got some great audio from there, as well as ScarifCon. It's going to be a great uh, summer vacation uh, set of episodes, and we still have some other audio to bring you as well, and hopefully be scheduling some brand new content for you in the coming weeks. Um, it's amazing how fast this year has gone. Um, just think, you know, celebration wasn't that long ago, right? Um, but I'm already seeing uh, some dates for conventions next year uh, that I'll be hopefully attending and just some other ones to kind of give you uh, some idea what's going on. Um, if I look at the calendar, uh, in January 7th, it'll be Steam into Star Wars down in Washington Community High School in Washington, Illinois. Uh, that is kind of run by Tom Gross and Dan Zara of Coffee with Kenobi. Uh, they are teachers down there at Washington Community High School. And hopefully they'll be getting that uh, show back on live. It was virtual after COVID had started. And uh, what a great time. And I really hope we get that uh, going. And that should be fun to kind of kick off the year. Of course, C2E2, which we just finished with... Uh, is moving back to its normal time slot uh, here sort of at the end of winter. Uh, right now it's scheduled for March 31st uh, through April 2nd, and that takes place at McCormick Place here in Chicago. That's the, one of the bigger ones here in the Midwest. Um, but at the same time, there's also the Midwest Gaming Classic in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I had a chance to talk to, when I did the show 
uh, with Jalen Warner on the uh, the Chicago Non-Sport Card Show. I'd met a fellow there who um, was kind of a part of that that group up there, and that looked like an interesting show to kind of visit. So I might see if I can split some time and uh, sneak up to uh, Milwaukee and catch that because it looks like a really fun show. All right, now, of course, uh, the big one, uh, April 7th through 10, is Star Wars Celebration Europe in London. Uh, I doubt I'll be going to that, but just to kind of give you an idea, that happens over Easter weekend. Um, the ICCC, that sort of that, that international uh, toy collector show uh, in Nashville, happens May 26th through 28th. And I'm going to put all this in, of course, in the show notes. Um, around that time, I'm assuming, we'll also have the uh, Chicago Non-Sport Card Show Spring Show. Uh, that'll be fun. I know their October, their fall one should be coming in up October. Uh, I'll have all, like I said, all this on the website. After that, uh, June third is Joliet Star Wars Day, and that's uh, Joliet Public Library, Joliet, Illinois. Um, in July, the National Sports Collectors Convention comes back to Chicago. They were in Atlantic City here uh, just a weekend or two ago. Uh, they alternate cities, but they'll be back at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center in Rosemont. Uh, that's going to be fun because then you see all the major uh, players when it comes to, you know, cards and collecting and whatnot. All the big vendors, you know, Dave and Adams and, and Blowout and all those folks will be there. Uh, always fun to kind of catch up, and it's literally right down the road. So uh, it'll be hopping at the Donald E. Stevens uh, Convention Center next year. Uh, because not that long after that, um, August 10th, through the 13th is Fan Expo Chicago, and after going to that this year, um, I kind of like the vibe of the show. Um, formerly Wizard World, now Fan Expo. Uh, Fan Expo bought uh, the Wizard World ones. Um, I do want to kind of go back to there. Um, once again, uh, these shows in Rosemont kind of centralized, so even if you're in some of the outlying states, uh, it's pretty easy to go to, lots of hotel rooms. Uh, there's also the a lot of the anime conventions that happened there, uh, you know, with Anime Midwest and Call Out Delete and some of the other ones. And so just a great place to have a convention as well. And of course, in the fall of next year, uh, the Chicago Non-Sport Card Show will have their second show. They do them uh, twice a year. Uh, so a full slate of conventions. Uh, so I'll be kind of working on getting the swag packs together. I'm kind of finalizing some of those designs, and I'm hoping to put those into production here in the fall uh, to be ready for the Steam into Star Wars uh, so I can start giving out to swag packs and whatnot. So um, it seems like it's a long way away, but uh, you know when it comes down to it, it just goes really fast. Labor Day will be here before you know it, and then it'll just kind of slide into winter. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Chewie, take the professor in the back and plug him into the hyperdrive. Um, speaking of the calendar as well, uh, just kind of checking or rechecking uh, the card release calendar. We did have Finest that came out here at the end of July. Uh, the next slated release is the uh, Topps Chrome Star Wars Mandalorian Beskar Edition. This is another Chrome set. Um, right now it's tentatively slated for the end of August, but it could slip into September uh, as well. It just kind of depends. Um, speaking of September, uh, yet another chrome set, chrome black. Um, right now I'm seeing it tentatively for September 28th. Uh, and of course in November we have Book of Boba Fett Season 1 uh, slated for November 23rd. Uh, I'm assuming at some point we'll hear about Masterwork 2022, whether or not it slips uh, from this year into next. And there should be a Chrome Galaxy set out there somewhere, but I haven't seen too much on it as far as a release date yet. So stay tuned. All right, like I said, I kind of wanted to keep the uh, Homestead Keeping 
uh, to a minimum. Um, more news as we get up, and you can always follow along. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Rebel Base Carter, Instagram. Uh, sometimes I post uh, latest stuff there if we have a drop. Um, like I said, uh, assuming when Andor starts in September, that we'd also maybe have an online set from Tops, but still don't know anything just yet. So stay tuned. All right, here is my conversation with Mark Mulcaster, and I'll catch you on the other side. This is Norn Rad. And I'm Ian Taylor of the Marvel Card Collectors Podcast. And you're listening to the Rebel Base Card Podcast. Great pull, kid. We're in attack position now, sir. Hold here. We're not going to attack. I have my orders from the Emperor himself. He has something special planned for him. We only need to keep him from escaping. I'll say this, you know, having uh, having Newbold on three times. He didn't do video <laughs> like you did, so I- I'm liking this already. Oh, yeah. No, it, do you know, it's odd because like, even when we record on a weekly making tracks, we don't tend to do uh, video. And I don't know why, because actually it's a lot of help. It's, it's quite helpful because then you can kind of see mm-hmm. people, whereas that, otherwise you're kind of you're just there just listening and you're not kind of getting the kind of interaction and stuff. But, you know, uh, I, I mean, I'm I'm just about with it today because uh, I had my played my first gig for the first time in like you know since before the pandemic yesterday and so i didn't get back till like 12 or 1 and just uh i'm a little bit fuzzy headed this morning so you know that's that's good and bad um i'll i'll go ahead and tell you i just i was like all right i'm doing an interview i should probably do a little bit of homework do a google image search and then here i'm like oh you're gonna tell me he's musically inclined good looking he's in a i'm like oh of course he's of course he plays of course he does this yeah i'm like oh, you know it's just one of those when you look and you know i guess as as we get older and we go oh well there there was something i wish i could have done yeah yeah i'll pick up an instrument and things like that but so do you play more than just bass or is that your is that your thing just bass yeah only only ever played bass since uh well since i was about 15 so yeah it's been been a long long time and uh i literally just joined the, the current band i'm in i think it was it was may of the pandemic so we had gone into lockdown in march and like middle of march and and basically i was offered the, the gig in may thinking oh that'd be all right i can you know learn the set during lockdown and then we'll be back out playing gigs like you know the following year or something like that but then obviously the gigs we had were pushed back to this year and even now the, the european gigs that we've had in the diary they've now been pushed back even further to next year because things uh, in germany still isn't quite right in terms of like how many people you can have at a, a festival so a lot of the bands that we we're meant to be playing with were coming from america and places like that and they were like we're not going to come over if it's not going to be full capacity because it's not really worth you know the, the trip just to play to like a half capacity audience and that so so yeah so it's the first gig and you know it's, we've had about four four cancelled so but mm. yeah hopefully now first one in the bag which is good so we can get a get up and running again so fingers crossed uh what kind of music so the band is called elixir and it is what is referred to as a Nuwaban band, which stands for New Wave of British Heavy Metal. And probably the the most famous of those kind of like of a band in that genre is Iron Maiden. Okay. So so it's kind of uh, 
the, the new wave British heavy metal kind of came about just after punk. So mm-hmm. early stuff kind of sounds a little bit more punky and then it kind of trans like exposes and kind of like it, it kind of evolves into heavy metal. So we're kind of, we're on that kind of Iron Maiden kind of end. So, um, I mean, I did actually describe it to my brother the other day as, you know, we're, we're bad, we're bad versions of Iron Maiden. <laughs> but I mean, in fairness, the band's been going since like about 83, you know, so, um, you know, so the, 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 a lot of the members are obviously older. I was only two when the band was formed. <laughs> so, so there's a bit of an age gap as well, but um, it, it works. It's all good, you know, and actually it's amazing how many of these kind of like bands who have been around for like 30, 40 years are still still going out and gigging and want to gig, which is you know fantastic for the live music industry, I think. so. That's pretty amazing. And I'm sure they don't hold it over your head that, you know, you were that age when they were out kind of doing their thing. No, they, they don't. But I, I do tend to remind them quite quite often, especially when they start talking about TV shows that I may have like only remember from like, you know, retrospective kind of TV programs about like, you know, I love the 80s and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, but in fairness, I've never done an, a Google image search on myself. <laughs> and no, that's so good. I've that's good. So I've, I've got it up here on, on my phone, and wow, that's quite a mixture because there's yeah, there's a photo of me in. Is that with eyeliner? <laughs> wow. <laughs> God. But, and, the, and the funny thing is, so that was with a band I was signed, uh, a band called Soulsick, which was kind of like a female-fronted alternate heavy metal band. And the singer Vicky, she said to me, "I think you'll look good in eyeliner." And so she put eyeliner on me for like one gig. <laughs> And that is the first photo that's come up in the Google image search. That is ridiculous. And the rest, to be fair, I kind of expect was me at work and me in Star Wars costumes and stuff like that. So I think you've got that brooding look down. I think that's very <laughs> metal. Like, you know, I'm I'm Grumpy. here. I, I've got a lot of angst. I don't really, really what I'm yeah. angry about, but I'm just angry. Yeah, exactly. I, it's one of those odd things. I never know how to pose um, in photos. And, I, and and like even yesterday when we were playing, there was like a lot of people taking photos at the front of the stage. And it's like, I don't know, am I meant to look into the camera or look away? And it's it's just one of those weird things. So you kind of hope that somebody somebody got my like my my good side at some point anyway. So do I, do do the uh, do what we do we just go with neutral shirts or we bring out the Star Wars shirts or you just like nah I, I can't mix genres here ah so now yesterday <laughs> I've got this really cool T-shirt which is a like a heavy metal um, band T-shirt for like Figure and Dan and the Modal Notes so it says like more sizely and it's got like some tour dates on the back and so I tend to wear that because that is the way that I can kind of yeah you know cross genres <laughs> and in fact actually um I don't know if you've uh, if you remember them. Pozu, who made the like um, footwear for Star Wars, they basically made all the footwear for uh, the sequel trilogy, oh, wow. and they and they were really um, they were like a really kind of forward thinking company. It was all very kind of organic, and you know they, it wasn't leather; it was like leather based materials, and like you know, I think it was like banana skin soles and stuff like that. Anyhow. Uh, we we through Revolution, I've done a couple of troops with them, and we got you know we got the opportunity to buy some boots at a, a reduced price. And to be fair, they were pretty expensive. So um, I brought a couple of pairs, and I wore a pair yesterday, just because I was just like, I don't really know what to wear, and you know it's been a while, and I, I knew I was going to be on my feet for a long time. So I just wore these boots, and then one of these guys who came and, and saw us, and he actually came all the way from Germany to watch us play yesterday. And the first thing he said to me wasn't like, 
brilliant gig or like, oh, you're fantastic or anything like that. It was, dude, you've got the best shoes. And I was like, what? <laughs> he goes, well, yeah, because from down here, from, you know, from right in the front of the stage, all we get to see is your shoes and you've got the best shoes of the night so far. I'm just like, no, I take it. I suppose <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's a compliment at the end of the day. And then one other person did come up and goes, I love your Star Wars t-shirt. But apart from that, I've worn that quite a few times and it's normally slipped under the radar because I have been in bands where we're like, oh, just, you know, can we keep uh, the Star Wars kind of geekiness to rehearsals only, please? And stuff like that. So, oh, my goodness. Know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I can I can just see like, you know, a typical weekend has to be, you know, like during the day you're trooping, you're raising money for charity. You know, you, you take off the clothes. You've already sweat through that. And then you yeah. go home, you're going to switch into like, you know, jeans and a T-shirt and these awesome shoes. And you're just going to like basically work off another, like, you, um, like how do you keep weight on, I'm wondering, during all that? <laughs> I, do, I tell you what, trooping, believe it or not, just because um, you don't tend to get to eat properly. So you just eat a lot of sugar. So like when we do the big events with Yuka Garrison and the Mando Mercs and Rebel Legion, there's normally um, a huge supply of has uh, like sweets, like Haribo sweets and and stuff like that. That everybody you know just kind of like sh- sugary sweets, and that's what people tend to like live off. So if you do like a weekend convention, you kind of come out of it at the end of the, the weekend, and you're just like, oh, I could murder some broccoli and some carrots. <laughs> So much so that we now start actually on the Friday night before a convention. We'll go and find a like a carvery restaurant where they kind of do like a, a roast dinner. And everybody just kind of like overloads on veg and potatoes and stuff just to help them get through the, you know, for the weekend. So actually, when I'm trooping more, I tend to kind of weigh more, actually, because I don't get a chance to kind of exercise so much and, you know, go out for runs and go to a gym, you know, so... It's uh, it's just kind of like a double balance. And actually, the, the good thing about having costumes, especially when you spend so much money on a costume, you know, because a lot of the stuff is kind of very bespoke and kind of custom made to fit me in my frame, mm-hmm. is that then you can't then put on too much weight or lose too much weight because then you have to bring it all in. And I've got friends who, um, you know, including myself, put a little bit on over the, over the lockdown, shall we say, a little bit of pandemic uh, lockdown weight. And now they've been struggling to get into costumes and a couple of them are kind of, you know, gone on a super like hardcore health kick and they've lost so much weight. They're like, oh, I need to get all my costumes taken in and, you know, get it looking all fit, you know, fitting again. About So actually costumes in some respects is a great way to, to kind of maintain some kind of like, you know, consistency with your physical shape, which is uh, not necessarily a bad thing if you can kind of like manage it, you know, so. I know, um, speaking of which, I, you know, I brought out, you know, I'd done this Matt the Radar Technician outfit. You know, it was sort of an early COVID project because, you know, everybody's mm. kind of locked down and you're trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. And I remember bringing that, you know, because the, the under is kind of like one of those, like, Dickies uniforms. And uh, it was nice that, you know, because it zips up, it's a one piece. And it was nice that it did mm. kind of push a little bit of the extra COVID weight up. And so I'm like, all right, that's, uh, I can still <laughs> fit into this. But, yeah, you're right. I can imagine that. You know, some of those now, now, I guess if you're like a like a rebel pilot or some of those, mm. you could probably there's a little bit of wiggle room. But oh, I'm yeah. sure a lot of the, you know, the stormtroopers and, and things that don't mm-hmm. really have a lot of give, um, you know, especially that's a great point after you've put in so much money into getting that together, keeping that keeping yourself to go into that. It's just got to be, you know, it's got to be a lot of work. 
Yeah, no, it is. And actually, you're right, because um, my very delightful and loving uh, partner, Karen, she brought me for my 40th birthday last August, um, Stormtrooper Armour. And uh, we got it through um, one of the probably the, the most accurate makers of Stormtrooper Armour, who does, he makes armour specifically how they made it in the films, um, and to the point whereby, you know, if you want to get him to trim it and make it for you and add all the kind of the weathering and the, the actual kind of bits of gaffer tape and stuff like that, he will do that for you if you want that. But the problem is, so he sculpted this for the, the stormtroopers who are in the in the films, so it's about, you know, they're about 5'10", and they're quite slim. I'm quite broad, so actually my shoulder bells, they just just fit and i could literally almost put them on my shoulders without any kind of strapping because they will just sit there mm. so i have to be careful when i go to the gym to not actually uh spend too much time lifting super heavy weights and get getting wider because it will then mean i'm going to have to try somehow try and stretch them out or something so you know <laughs> it, it, it's trial and error and it's the same with my boba fett the, the gauntlets uh are quite quite fitted anyway um and so again if i kind of end up with Popeye forearms and I'm going to struggle with my, my Boba Fett costume. So, <laughs> but you know, it's, um, so far I haven't, you know, you know, and you do sometimes see it, people kind of get to, uh, a troop and they've not worn their costume for six months or, you know, a year or something and they go to put it on and then suddenly it doesn't fit and the poppers ping off and <laughs> everything like that. So, you know, I always try to kind of make sure I, every now and again, if I hadn't worn a costume for a few months, I'll just, do a quick fitting just to make sure it's all still working and it's all still fitted because there's nothing worse than getting to an event and something breaking and you don't necessarily have like the glue or the you know the time to fix it and that ultimately is the biggest disappointment you know you, you spend all the time and money making the costume and then when you arrive and it doesn't fit then you just you can look at a plastic box all day and and you know you'll yeah. just have to yeah just suck it up so um so yeah, so there's there's always a little bit of kind of worry when that you know when you haven't worn a costume for a while anyway. So I still like that. Uh, I think that's the perfect excuse for your significant other. Oh, babe, I can't really get too much bigger because you know I wouldn't fit into this. I think that is that that's that's your perfect yeah. out. I exactly. Yeah. I can't get too muscular for you because you know it just. But I I can't go to a gym too much because otherwise I never fit into all the costumes. And you bought me some <laughs> lovely costumes. So, but she's you know she's the same. Um, you know she's she's only you know like five foot or five foot one on a on a good day um and so she she's perfect high for princess leia and she does all these fantastic princess leia costumes but again she's got to kind of watch her weight watch what she eats you know she has to run and stuff and uh you know the the new hope princess leia costumes are great they um they're quite kind of baggy and you know flow and stuff but the empire strikes back best spin kind of like jumpsuit that's very form-fitting and you know you sometimes see her struggling to breathe a little bit when she's zipping it up and that. But you know, generally, it's a, you know, it's a great way to, to kind of keep on on top of what you're eating anyway. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, I don't think. Anyway, so <laughs> I've I've seen you, know, Mark, refer to you as as the uh, the CEO of the UK Rebel Legion, right? Yeah, BCO. Yeah, base commanding officer. Yeah. What kind of goes into that? I've always kind of kind of been curious. Uh, well, as a, as a role. Mm-hmm. As such. Okay, so the base commanding officer is, I mean, it's a, always a weird thing when I kind of put that in an email, when I approach maybe an event and say, hi, you know, we're the Rebel Legion and I'm the base commanding officer, because it's like, <laughs> what, what, what does that mean? And also, you know, 
I, it's not a commissioned like you know uh, officer role as as such. I'm not in the army or anything like that. It's just just a made up thing. But basically, so you could basically you know boil it down to like the general manager of the Rebel Legion in the UK. I suppose you could say. So um, so you know just to kind of give the listeners a bit of a. Uh, like a, a broader kind of sense of what what's going on the rebel legion is a non-profit volunteer costume club and so we have what we call bases or i you know motorcycle clubs would call them chapters um we'd we have a base a rebel base in just about i think most countries and we've got them in all the u.s states and in fact some states have like more than one due to the size of the, um, the state and so local members they build them and make them a you know research the costumes they want to wear um from the star wars universe galaxy i should say mark will kill me if i <laughs> refer to star wars as the universe uh star wars galaxy and um and specifically the good guys so we're talking rebel pilots princess leia han chewie you know ray uh, finn poe anybody who basically fought against the dark side um in the in the films and the books and the comics and the cartoons and um Yes, we make the costumes and then we will uh, attend events to raise money for charity, put people, you know, make make a wish kind of events um, and everything from, like I said, like a school summer fate right the way up to European premieres and stuff like that. We've attended and we do stuff for Disney and Lucasfilm and uh, and Comic-Con to that. So for me, as a base commanding officer, I, I'm kind of there to kind of like oversee and look after the base. So I'm the one who... Um, at least in the UK, it's kind of like a, a double, treble-folded kind of role. So I'm also the forum administrator. So on the, the Rebel Legion Co.UK forum, I basically you know, look after the actual admin kind of side of things, adding new users, granting permissions, that kind of stuff. And then I kind of run different kind of departments. So we've got like events team, we've got a PR team, and then we've got a costume detachment team, which look after the actual costume detachments. So each costume fits into its own specific detachment. So if you're doing an excellent pilot, then the excellent pilots will look after you and happen to be the squadron leader for the excellent pilots. Um, If you're doing a Jedi costume, then David Sandground, who runs our jedi temple he will kind of look after you and and kind of oversee your costume development so Mm. as you build your costume we kind of we're helping you and giving you encouragement and if you need like pointers or tips and you know where to buy certain items we can kind of point you in that direction to the point whereby once the costume is finished we're kind of give you the okay to then submit it to the main rebel legion so then you can get it approved and then come and join in all the fun and you know raise money for charity and stuff so you know, on a day to day, there's a lot of kind of bits and bobs. It's like looking after the, you know, overseeing, I should say, the, you know, what what events we've got coming up. And uh, we've got May the 4th coming up. So we've had events from Disney and Lucasfilm for store appearances in the UK. So I've been posting those up on the forum to get members signed up to that. Um, and also then trying to get photos from members from this weekend's events to then be posted and on social media and stuff like that. So it's it's kind of like a constant kind of like, you know, churn of, of work. So throughout the day, I might spend like, you know, 20 minutes at lunch looking at the forum posts and then in the evening or afternoon, reply to emails and stuff like that. So it's, it's almost a little bit of like extra work without getting paid for it. <laughs> but it's not necessarily about, you know, what I want to do you, when you 
take on a, a role like this, it becomes all about, you know, making sure that the members have a good time. It's about the member experience and especially the new member experience, because a lot of people come into this maybe having done cosplaying and, you know, which is a certain level of costuming. Um, and then it's like trying to kind of coach them and bring them up and kind of manage their expectations as to what we can achieve and what they can achieve and, and stuff like that. So there's a lot of kind of, uh, you know, a lot of kind of, shall we say, client facing kind of skills that need to be kind of, uh, you know, brought into the role and stuff as well. So I think that about sums it up anyway. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. Now, and that's just something, you know, like as, you know, it's interesting, you know, like watching, you know, like when you, when you're getting into the fandom or you you start attending events and you're seeing the 501st and the and the Rebel Legion and you're watching that and then you're maybe trying trying some things out yourself and I can imagine, you know, you're talking about, you know, this is a very personal, it's a very personal, you know, hobby mm. or project, and you know having having somebody like go over like no you can't do this or you do this or that's not good enough for that you know I there's got to be a lot of you know, care going into how mm. you, I love the, the term coaching because you have to bring these costumes up to a certain aspect. That's the whole point, you know, like yeah. the, the, the payoff is that you get to attend these events and you get, you know, they're the they're premium type events for this, but there is that I've got to get you from here to there and everything from what can you buy versus what you probably have to make or how do you source this out? And then, you know, yeah, I can imagine if someone doesn't coach somebody right or they're not they don't really maybe have the right people skills you might make a perfect stormtrooper outfit but you can't translate it to somebody else I mean, there's got to be you know and especially when this is not like a job job there's got to be a, such a, a finesse of personalities and how you talk to people especially whether you're doing it in person or the impersonal like you know emails or forums or whatnot yeah oh i mean i, I can't stress enough how important it is yeah and how and and as you say how difficult because for a lot you know for a lot of the bulk of the time we spend uh, uh, you know the, the time on the forum and so you you type something out and then you post it and obviously it can be taken you know the written or the printed word it can be taken completely out of context and um and so it's very hard to sometimes write something especially when you when you haven't uh critique and maybe you know suggest pointers as to what could be brought up in, in in improvements and stuff like that and also i think the the problem is is that the rebel legion and the 501st especially and and even down to the you know mandalorian mercs to a degree um because i considered you know the the very best of kind of star wars costuming community in terms of like um accuracy and and all that, and because we get, you know, the, the the events that we're invited to and stuff like that, then obviously it creates a the appearance anyway of a certain level of gatekeeping in the community, mm. and it's and very it's very easy when you go onto something like Facebook on a Facebook group, and all these Facebook groups kind of spring up for like rebel pilots or stormtroopers and stuff, and and it's um, people kind of get the wrong idea but actually you know we are gatekeeping but actually we don't know we'd, we'd much love to have everybody you know join us and get approved of us but you know some people don't necessarily have the same level of uh what should i say you know desire mm -hmm. to have an accurate costume and you know there is that thing where you sometimes go well actually unless they're going to buy me dinner they probably don't need to get too close to me 
to look you know to look at my costume and, and realize that my my code cylinders and my flight suit are made of metal which actually my films are made out of wood so my costume's not necessarily screen accurate but what it is is it's kind of like what you considered a a realistic representation of the costume so you would expect on a pilot belt to have mini flares not to be made out of wooden dowels but to be probably machined aluminium or what have you so that's the kind of things that we kind of do and and also we have to try and adapt and adopt new te- new technologies so obviously the stormtrooper armor and the x-wing chest box for example were created using a form of uh, vac forming so basically you create like a, a template out of wood like a buck and you put like a thin abs plastic on top and you use a vacuum to heat to heat the plastic and suck it out so it creates some of the shape yeah now obviously nowadays uh people are 3d printing stuff they're making stuff out of like Sintra and like other materials um and also resin printing is now kind of starting to emerge so we have to kind of be able to be flexible enough to be able to adopt those kind of new emerging technologies to uh, allow a wider you know selection of people to be able to kind of make costumes and it's fantastic because like now i mean i've been a member since 2007 and the idea of being able to just print a chess box at home and then completely be able to kind of finish it to like a a really high standard was something that most people couldn't do back in 2007 but now 3d printers are becoming like very accessible in terms of like the price costing so people can do it and then it then just becomes down to how much time do you want to invest in actually finishing the the item to to a high standard so then you know we have to consider how you know what what people's expectations are so there are some people who want to basically wear a costume that is exactly the same as what you saw on screen. And obviously, when you're referring to like you know the original trilogy, these films were made in the 19 like 70s and early 80s. So they're 40 years old. A lot of the materials that were used then are still available, but the research and um, all the kind of like the the, the background information for how you actually go about making this stuff is there but the thing was those costumes weren't necessarily made for you know to be kind of like you know examined in in fine detail <laughs> and and that's why you end up with stormtrooper armor with bits of gaffer tape on them and you know uh thumbprints on on like you know the for bicep and stuff like that because that was just you know they were mass produced and they were mass produced quickly for a film that was basically nobody really cared about and you know over in the uk a lot of the crew didn't really understand and so it was just a you know sci-fi film to them so then obviously now when you start looking at um films like rogue one and um the sequel trilogy the level of costuming and craftsmanship that goes into it is exponentially a lot higher than what it was back in uh, in 1976 and in the 80s and that and so therefore the processes that you need to kind of be aware of and, and have that kind of level of detail that you need to be aware of again needs to be that much higher so it's like trying to kind of find a balance between meeting the expectations of what the club requires to to have a costume approved but also the expectations that actually a lot of people may only wear this costume a few times a year at a convention and i sometimes say to a lot of people look just 
you know, let's get you to a point where you can be approved and then we can start to sweat over the small stuff if that's what you want to worry about. Right. Because you might you might only do one event and go, actually, do you know what? This isn't really for me, you know. And and also there are some people like in the, the, the Boba Fett costume kind of like community who build these super accurate costumes that sit on a mannequin but don't get worn. They're, they're there as a kind of like a a testament to the fact that, you know, the costume is freaking cool. So, you know, they, they <laughs> go about, you know, looking for what we call found parts. So like, you know, the, the Casio MQ1 calculator, which goes into its gauntlet as a little data pad and, um, and dental files, which appear on the jetpack and in the helmet and stuff like that. And, and people make super accurate costumes that then literally sit on a mannequin. And, you know, that is amazing. But then the problem is for me, I've got a Casio MQ1 calculator. I brought it. It cost me about $120 when I brought it. And I looked at it. It's only about this, about this big. It's about four inches at length. And I was like, this is way too nice for me to just smash <laughs> open just to get the, com- like the, the, the actual number pad. So I've got it, but it's not going to my costume because ultimately my costume's in a box in the garage. It's going to be worn. It's going to potentially get dropped or, you know, kids are going to try and, you know, press buttons on it and break it Matt so I'd rather keep you know keep the found part out of uh, out of harm's way and then just use a, a kind of like a, a reproduction just to you know that works for me and works with a kind of level I can see that we need I've probably completely rambled and lost my point oh no so. no but I, I love <laughs> that cross section I think we found the uh, the XY ang- angle of yeah collector and cosplayer oh yeah <laughs> where you're like and, <laughs> yeah no that's it i mean because like for instance um the headsets that uh the pilots wear which actually for for a lot of people um when you when you buy a like an excellent pilot helmet and obviously now hasbro have brought out the black series helmets which have made them infinite sorry infinitely a lot more accessible um they have the mic stalk already attached to the helmet but actually in the films they were a complete separate head piece so actually when you see the the pilots walking around with a helmet you've got the helmet but the the actual mics are actually just sat in the cockpit so it's oh, uh, wow. yeah i mean and they're the same uh, head uh, head bits that were used in moonraker and also in in the aliens films so you know so because again it's from that era it's they they just work for that kind of look they're kind of that you know tactical kind of you know utilitarian kind of look so i've got one of those upstairs and again um i've got a few of our members who've got pair you know pairs of those and they actually do wear them to to vents but i'm just like eh, just, they're just a little bit too fragile and they cost a little bit too much to uh, to replace and they're not that many of them around to uh you know to to want to have to use something like that and uh um you know it get damaged so in fairness, actually, I'll show you this. I know this isn't a video podcast, but I will show you this because <laughs> this is quite cool. And this exactly is, I think, that what embodies the whole kind of found part collecting. So it's in a really tough case. Okay. So this is my <gasps> unconverted graphics flash. Uh, yeah, s- cylinder, which of course everybody knows as a as a lightsaber. And I managed to pick this up just before The Force Awakens. So just before prices and everybody started buying these up. And then in a kind of similar kind of thing with the uh, the Casio calculator, I was just like, I'm going to keep this, but I'm not going to convert it because 
everybody's doing this. And actually what would be quite nice will be to get to a point where I have enough items that I could uh, put them on display at a convention to say, hey, this is what the real world part is and this is what they were used in the films. And I think probably the best uh, example of that is the Jedi comlinks that they use in The Phantom Menace is just a uh, Gillette lady razor. That's right for the legs and so i've got some of those upstairs as well so you know that's quite cool i i don't think i've ever seen um you know basically a, a naked one of those because they were yeah. it was like a light holder for a kit or... yeah it's it's a it's a camera flash so basically mm-hmm. you it's with the main body and then you put the bulb in the top and it comes with like a like a like a round reflector that kind of goes on the back and it's a bit like um the comlinks were also similar versions of that but much smaller they were only about I don't know, about four, four or five inches in length, uh, cold bolt flashes. And it's all that kind of stuff that, again, it's really cool, but, you know, you've got like a real world part, but then you can add on a few bits of greeblies and, or even just take bits off of it. And then suddenly you've got something that just kind of works. It's kind of like, it's grounded in our reality, but yet it still looks unfamiliar to the, you know, the majority of people, but then actually um, it looks sci-fi or it looks otherworldly. Um, and it's quite interesting. Um, one of the more recent episodes of uh, The Book of Boba Fett, there was a droid walking around in the background. Just uh, It was like a, a, like a creature performer, so they had somebody in it, a bit like a gonk droid. And people kind of uh, identified really quickly that it was just a water butt for outside in the garden and it literally you go down to home depot you go down to b&q in the uk and you can buy these things for like 25 30 bucks and you've basically got three quarters of a, a star wars prop then and there and it's like so everybody's been buying up these water butts to <laughs> to make droids and stuff which i think is fantastic i think also you know you, you talk about what you guys do which is basically you have to you analyze something that wasn't necessarily originally meant to be you know it was like as long as that person's in the back and he kind of looks like he, what he's supposed to do, it's fine. But then I think you have an appreciation then for people, you know, the guys who had to take, you know, maybe some of the concept drawings and had to kind of build this to create things on there. If you're looking at like a mm. chest plate, whether you're, you know, a rebel pilot or or a TIE fighter pilot, and there's all these buttons and doodads, and, and they have to kind of look like they do things. And of course, you know, the rest of us spend our entire lives going, what do those switches do? And I think yeah. also, but, you know, you have reference points you guys look at. They might have had a a, a drawing, and, and basically they had to kind of come up with stuff and, and kitbash this. I think, mm. uh, you know, it's one thing for the ships, but another thing for a lot of the costumes of, you know, of these pilots and whatnot that had so much on them. I think it's just got to be amazing. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, one thing that's really quite cool is the, um, I mean, I find it very funny, and it happens quite often the X-Wing chest box I have has obviously um, three switches on it, three rocker switches on the, on the front for like the original trilogy pilot. And I cannot tell you the amount of children who have come up to me <laughs> and pressed about, try and pressed the rocker. And it's obviously it's fixed in places. It's, it's glued in places. It's, just a, it's a wooden rocker and it doesn't do anything. And so they always look a little bit disappointed. So you have to try and come up with like some excuses. So I'm like, nah, I've locked it down because if you press that one, then I'm going to 
blow up or whatever <laughs> <laughs> you know and it's the same with Darth Vader I mean to be fair not many kids actually go up to Darth Vader and press his chest box which you can understand <laughs> but um pilots so we're a little bit more approachable but yeah I mean you are right and I suppose in some respects I think that's the beauty of um the the symbiosis between what like the, co- the original costume designers were doing like John Mollo and people like that who were more concerned about the silhouette of the actual costume the identity of like the clothes and stuff and so some of these details would be left fairly kind of vague um and i think it's like you know when it came to like the blasters and stuff you know the, like uh roger christensen just basically had all these parts and just literally just shoved a few bits together and then he's got han solo's dl44 blaster in it and it kind of works and i suppose if you're you know it's that experience thing isn't it the more you mm-hmm. kind of, if you've got experience with machinery and maybe, you know, building stuff, then suddenly all these things kind of click into place. I mean, we've got members who are, you know, in the in the military, in the RAF, and especially with, uh, like, the resistance pilot costumes and the ones in The Last Jedi, um, like the, the transport pilots, they've got a lot of kind of buckles and bits and bobs and greebies. And, like, Phil was just like, oh, yeah, that's that buckle and that's that buckle and and Jeff was like, yeah, and I think that's like a roll pin slider. And so, you know, obviously, they, the, the costumers and that um, have that kind of similar experience. And I think once you start getting to the mindset, it all becomes a little bit easier. But to begin with, it can be quite daunting. I mean, even for me, when I thought I was going to start doing a like a Boba Fett costume, I was like, where, where the hell do I <laughs> do you start with something like that? I mean, then. But then what you do is you take a step back and go, right, let's just break it down. So it's a flight suit, it's a pair of boots, it's a helmet, it's a gauntlet, it's a jetpack, obviously. And then <laughs> and and then suddenly you kind of you can break it all down, build a list, and then you can start to try and work out where you can get these things from. Like for instance, for the Wookiee braids on the on his shoulder. They're just horsehair braids, you know, so you go and find somebody who has some rather understanding horses and they <laughs> they make braids and stuff like that and so you know it's it's like that and i think as you progress and the more time you spend looking at costumes for it slightly easier it becomes and and we're really lucky in in elstree base in the uk we have some fantastic members who have worked in the film industry and have been trained in like making like clothes and seam industry and stuff like that so when it comes to the less kind of like hard bits, shall we say, you know, the soft bits, the, 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 the stitching and stuff like that, the bang on it. So they know, you know, they can look at a costume and they can look at it from maybe just a couple of angles and they can deconstruct how it was probably made and how it's sewn together, which then means that they can pass it on to somebody else. And uh, what we find is that, for instance, like with Rogue One, there's a lot of what we call top stitching, which is kind of like, it's more like stitching on top of the actual seams themselves which are more there for um, just kind of like effect rather than they do, you know, actually holding the costume together. And mm-hmm. so, so then suddenly it's like, right, okay, well, that's a theme of this kind of, this film where there's going to be a lot of top stitch. And so you, you start to then expect that in the flight suits and in like Jin's jacket and stuff like that. Um, we've just had a, a member just uh, finish her Padme Amidala costume for the Queen, uh, for Queen costume from episode one, you know, the one of the big, red dresses and that and you know she spent three or four years just hand embroidering bits and stuff like that and you know they kind of some of the members are happily you know look at the the detail of the costumes and will go right okay well 
you're not going to be able to find that anywhere. So there's not going to be somebody on Etsy making this. We are just going to have to just um, just going to have to sit there and do it. So they, in fact, they have a little patch that they've made which says Trisha Bigger makes us cry, just because it's just like, <laughs> you know, again the the level of artistry that went into the um, you know the Padme costumes in the original uh, sort of the prequel trilogy. It's just it's immense. It's um, you know we're talking about high level couture uh, craftsmanship that um, I think sometimes gets lost on screen but then when you see it in a star wars identities exhibit you're just like wow that's just astounding i hate breaking down like the the whole group or groups into Mm. there are the folks that really get into the making of it and there are the ones that are just can i get what how much can i get off the shelf you know i used to I don't know if you ever if you if you game and all, but I know in um, mm. let's say a miniature game like Warhammer 40k, right? Um, yeah, I always kind of thought everybody went down. You know, once you put the models together and you painted them and went down, and then you played. But there are people who just painted, and then there are people who just game. But I, I'm, I'm sure there's there's a correlation of there's folks that I just want to cosplay and whatever yeah. it takes to get me in. But you know, versus the folks who make it, there's there's got to be a little bit of maybe some tension there. Maybe I'm not trying to drum up things, but I'm just curious. Oh, um. <laughs> I, I mean, I've not, no, I've, I've not seen any tension. I mean, there are definitely members who, um, you know, the enjoyment and the challenge is making the costume and the wearing is not necessarily the most enjoyable part of it. Hmm. And I, you know, I'll be fair. Um, some of these costumes, in fact, most costumes aren't very comfortable. Uh, Stormtrooper armor, isn't comfortable you can't sit down in stormtrooper armor for the, whilst it's, whilst you're wearing it because if you do you'll you'll break the uh like the, the, the cod piece and stuff like that uh you can just about sit down in a boba fett costume but then when i'm in my costume i've got a a, a screen accurate uh scuba frame which holds the jetpack in place the straps are so tight that once i'm fully in and i'm holding my blaster within five minutes i've lost the circulation in my fingers oh, <laughs> fingers going up so um you know so there's um but then at the same time it's just like well you kind of you suffer for your your art sometimes i think um but you know and then there are members who are just like i just want to you know i want to wear costumes and just go out and just do it and so there's there's normally a balance there are you know obviously i think it comes down to the you know some people have a you know a slightly more introverted and prefer to 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 do the actual kind of creation of it rather than the wearing of it. And then there's other people who just live for, you know, wearing the costumes and seeing the effect. Cause obviously as soon as you put a helmet on or you step into some Jedi robes, you're, you're not like average, you know, Mark or Joe or, you know, Greg anymore. You're like Obi-Wan Kenobi or like, you know, Jarek Sunrunner, if you've made up your own kind of character name and stuff like that. And it, can you know it's not we're not like live action role playing so we're not like larping we're not kind of in character all the time but um there's an there's enough of it that at least when the public come up to you and they talk to you you can kind of you know maybe role play a little bit and obviously nine times out of ten it's going to be the kids you know <laughs> where's your ex and you know parked and stuff like that or is it's luke skywalker here and and if if we don't have a member who's luke skywalker then it's like oh he's off on another planet fighting you know the empire or my x-wings parked on the roof because the car park wasn't big enough that kind of stuff you know and and it just you know you, you find a like a a comfortable position for yourself um and it's interesting when you wear something like uh stormtrooper armor as soon as you put it on and you put the helmet on 
and I've seen it in guys. They kind of uh, they suddenly just stand differently. And I know obviously part of it's down to the costume, you're kind of like kind of like locked in. But then suddenly the posture changes. And I notice it when I'm in my Boba Fett. I walk slower. I'm, you know, I'm suddenly a lot more aware of my movements. So I'm not been a lot, you know, fluid. Everything's very kind of like specific and deliberate. So, you know, if somebody's walking from left to right in my field of vision, I, I'll track them the whole way, which makes a lot of people uncomfortable, which is quite funny. Um, and, and, and then also... Because I'm empathised about Boba Fett, I don't tend to say a lot. So if if a kid comes up to me and starts having a conversation, I probably won't be as kind of like warm and friendly as if I was in my X-Men pilot. So it swings around about, but you know. So it's funny you mention that because I've you know I've in in being around a little bit more, and sometimes you'll talk to folks when they're in costume, and they unintentionally maybe seem a little more engaged or engaging and then you'll see them later they'll be back in sort of the you know like the like the their their civvies as it were with thing and they don't seem to talk as much and yeah but it's kind of funny how i guess when you're in that costume like i said it just changes you and your personality you just can really feel like you're a little more freer just to kind of go or or be be in the moment as opposed to when you're out and you're kind of like oh i'm kind of back to normal again yeah, no, yeah, totally. And you can kind of understand a little bit how um, actors kind of feel a little bit, you know, because it's a similar kind of thing. I think you kind of, you vibe off of uh, the costume that you're in and stuff like that, um, you know. And I think also then it gives you slightly more kind of justification for rolling off a few quotes and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> so. And not just that, the uh, you know, it was funny because I went, you know, uh, one of the last days of the C2E2 in Chicago, I, mm. I put on my, my radar technician one. And, and you know, it's funny because I kept reading, it's like, you better have some things to say and you might want to get your your stance down. And you, I, that's the last thing I'm going to, I think about because you're like, I just, you know, getting the getting the nerve to put this on and walk up. I remember yeah. like, you know, as I was walking towards the convention hall, like I had half of it on when I was driving and then I was moving things on. And by the time I got there, I'm like, all right, are you doing this? Once you go, there was literally a car park door. And I'm like, once I go through that door, I'm committed to this. And then yeah, you start yeah. going, I, I should really have something to say. And people go, you know, because there's the folks that'll kind of stop by and they'll, they'll maybe throw a quote out and then people go literally will stop you. And then you're like, well, oh, shoot, I, w- I want to try to give them something. It's just, it's amazing that that's, that aspect doesn't even enter your head until you, you're, you're ready to do it. Yeah, I mean, my first costume was for Star Celebration Europe in 2007. So it was kind of a, uh, I, in fact, I brought the Anakin Skywalker Master Replica lightsaber, the, the, the studio one. I brought that and I was like, well, if I've got a lightsaber, I'm going to need a belt to hang off of um so i brought a, a jedi belt and i was like well if i got a belt i probably need for the rest of a costume <laughs> and then um celebration kind of uh, was announced and I, I got tickets and i was just like well hell i, I might as well just uh <laughs> might as well just wear it and i i didn't even take a change of clothes i just i drove down and it was quite a long way it's probably good hours worth driving in a full jedi costume and then I was just in it all day. And then I suddenly realized, actually, this is really inconvenient. I don't really have any pockets <laughs> to put my wallet. And I've been buying so much stuff. I keep on having to go back to the car to kind of, 
to kind of uh you know drop stuff off but yeah you know then and then that's where i met the rebel legion number five at first and but even then it was just like wow you know um the difference that actually having these organizations at events make is remarkable because it is like a little slice of star wars you know in something that is can be quite mundane you know sometimes it's just even a a shopping center and we're collecting for uh, a charity but actually we're not just there in costume kind of shaking a bucket we'll be there in costume and then we'll have somebody holding the bucket so actually there's that kind of delineation between us and you know what we're trying to kind of like achieve in in the event so and i'm sure that you guys are going to be uh doing more whether it's in the podcasting realm or forums or whatnot because with you know more conventions with celebration coming up and a lot of people getting out. This may be their first time. This may be their first time wanting to do in costume. Mm. You know, you, you've probably got this litany of tips like, all right, let me get out the book and let's talk about what you, the do's and don'ts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of it comes down to um, being a little bit prepared. And so that is, if you can, and obviously there, there seems to be this kind of specialist culture in kind of cosplay to kind of like to basically cram it and get it done the night before the event for whatever reason you know some stuff takes a certain period of time and inevitably there's going to be a bit of a mad rush to to, to finish the, the costume before you kind of you know the event but the most important thing and this is just from years of experience and years of blisters and rubbing and stuff like that is is wear the costume before you know try and wear the costume as much as you can just around the house just you know make sure you can get up and down stairs easily <laughs> no seriously and it's like you know the amount of times like you see uh, a Jedi kind of in a in a long robe kind of trying to, you know, get up some stairs and then suddenly kind of trip halfway up because they've forgotten that they've got this long robe on. Or, you know, Stormtrooper armor, again, is it's not very kind of like, you know, forgiven in terms of like flexibility. And, and you know, you have to be aware also um, you, you're kind of restriction in, in eyesight, in your vision, because obviously the helmet and, uh, and mobility because you're wearing armor and so it's like you know that's why for instance we have what we refer to as crew and spotters at events so they're there they're like non-costumed members of the club who are specifically there just to keep an eye and make sure people don't trip up and trip over mm. or in the, in the case of some costumes make sure that they don't kind of plow through a load of uh, kids because they can't see kind of like three feet below their their chest and stuff like that so that's definitely one um the other important things obviously is it's it's fairly common sense it's like stay hydrated and uh, make sure you eat and and also then because you're staying hydrated make sure that you can get out of your costume and take a whiz pretty quickly because <laughs> that is <laughs> there's nothing worse than kind of like spending so much time getting into costume and then going oh i need a you need a bathroom break and then you've got to take it all off and it you know it's a mad panic because you're going to wet yourself i mean that's not going to be a good look on the on the convention floor you know so uh, but yeah you know i mean but the main thing is i think ultimately is just have fun have fun mm -hmm. with it and i think also is um especially for celebration there's going to be so many people in different costumes different varying levels of costumes there's going to always be somebody who's going to have a costume that's a little bit more accurate or is going to just look a little bit more aesthetically kind of fitting on them and stuff like that and it's just like don't worry about it doesn't matter you, you know just just have fun with it and if you see another ahsoka or you see another boba fett in a like you know maybe what you consider like a less than perfect costume just kind of go over to them and just say hey 
great costume and you know let's have a photo because that's what it's all about and especially with celebration is it's always it's always going to be about like you know the the celebration of star wars and the interaction of fandom and and you know we've been you know two years or so almost three years without being able to do this and 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 spend time with with fans but it's more important than ever to just you know enjoy the fact that we're going to all be in the same place and hey you know if we get covid at the end of it well (laughs) we get covid at the end of it you know (laughs) exactly you know one of the things that i like doing and i I'm trying to remember now if I know the answer to this. I, I know I may disappoint myself. Is like one of the things I love seeing when I go mm. and see 501st folks is I'll go see if they have a card. Yeah, uh, because that's the that's the thing that um, I I was most pleasantly surprised when I first started. And you kind of go, and then as a card collector, it became like, oh, this is something that now I like. I like collecting them, and I have a. a, a part of one binder that's just dedicated to because those cards are pretty amazing um mm. i don't know if you have them i i want to say I, I should i should know this or not but um this can you talk a little bit about the story of how they get made and and why they got made to begin with um i don't even know why they got made to be honest it's just one of those things one of the things that i find so great about um like the costume community uh, rebel legion and fiber fest especially is the uh it's just a sheer desire to to get stuff made. So <laughs> patches, pins, lanyards, T-shirts and stuff like that. I mean, you know, I have a whole drawer literally full of patches and stuff. And that's not just um, Rebel Legion patches. And that. There's also, you know, people get their own personal patches made for whatever reason. Memorial patches and uh, you know, celebrationary patches and stuff like that. And got loads of them, which is great. Trading cards, see, we do them over here as well. Um, but it's it's one of those things that like I don't think is as popular with us in the UK, for, like as it is in the US and in mm. other countries. We seem to be a lot more focused on patch collecting, at, at least at the moment. Anyway, that might change. Um, but yeah, so but any member can basically get a trading card made. So you know we select a picture. We've got like frames already kind of preset and with. Mm. Uh, and on the back, we've got all our kind of like different kind of stats and stuff like, um, you know, forum name and member joined and that. And some of them even have a little signature uh, kind of like tab, which is quite nice so people sign. Yes, them. yes. And and yeah, and you're right. You know, basically, what we just do is people. I mean, you know, the members buy them themselves, and then they just you know give them out to other people, which I think is really cool. You know, we we've had some Elstree base ones done in the past, which has got like a group photo on it and that. But I think we are probably well overdue for getting a new set done um i know i've been kind of like mulling over doing doing a couple of of them myself so when we do i'm sure they will be coming your way sir don't you worry about that (laughs) i was gonna say don't make me come over there because i will you know like it seems like i have some work to do in the uk then just to kind of you know basically you know talk about the aspects of it but i i love also the fact um, whenever I try to get them, I like them when they're signed because I always yeah. say, you know, artists should sign their work. And mm. like I said, I think it's one thing where one card or one patch seems odd in your collection where you're like, what do I do with this? Especially when you're younger. And then when you get two or three and you start going, okay, you know, with patches and you start going, well, do I have to get, a, maybe I'll get a frame and get all these in. And then, or with cards, it's like, well, they need to have their own and then you have subsets. So I know there's that collector mentality that yeah. kind of goes into it. But I think it is kind of fun because I don't, I, I, 
you know, especially little kids, they're not going to expect something like this. And then they go, they have this little memory, this little physical memory of taking, oh, man, I saw this, blah, blah, blah. I saw this, you know, Darth mm-hmm. Vader. I saw this Stormtrooper. And, uh, you know, it, it makes it nice because, you know, then you get a little bit of a memory for it. Yeah, it's a memento. Yeah, I mean, that's what we do. We do uh, little kind of pin badges and stuff like that, which we leave on the table and people can just pick up and uh, like rubber wristbands and stuff like that. Um, you know, we, we try and do all, all that stuff. And it is quite funny. Sometimes... Um, have to put a post up especially after a celebration um you'll, you'll go onto ebay and you'll uh you'll see like listings for people who have basically just selling stuff that they've picked up at the convention table for <laughs> celebration and i mean some of the stuff um you know some of the prices for some of the listings i was like that's ridiculous and so i can remember put, putting up after the, the last celebration just a post on our social media kind of saying don't buy it just drop us a message. We'll send it to you, you know, and if, uh, we're not just talking about like coins or like patches and um, train cars. We're talking about like info flyers, like how to join the Rebel Legion. And it's kind of like, but of course it's, you know, everybody kind of goes mad around about celebration, but they need to pick, every, you know, buy everything, all the ephemera they can possibly ever get. And uh, it's only ever going to live in a drawer, but people do it. And so it's like, no, just if you want anything, drop us a message. So every now and again, we do get people who uh, would just say, is there any chance you've got? Um, for what, for, for, I think the most popular patch that we've done recently is our like our, our poppy patch for um, Armistice Day and stuff like that, November, November 11th. They tend to be quite popular. But, um, but yeah, so I will make sure that we, uh, we put a nice little <laughs> care package together for you, sir, and uh, drop ping you over some patches, because that's what I do with Mark. I, uh, I always make sure I pick up a couple of patches, because we're not supposed to sell them on, especially for profit. So Right. You know, and and we're not really so we're not supposed to sell them also to non-members. So it's okay for me to buy fifty patches and then give them out to other people. But you know, we're not supposed to be allowing you guys to kind of uh, buy them yourselves. And that's 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 basically down to the fact that you know we have like a a duty of care and trust for the actual Star Wars IP. And um, you know, Disney and and Lucasfilm have kind of trusted us you know and allowed us to kind of you know produce all this merch you know they don't get any kind of royalties from it they know that you know some of the patches and the the cards that we make and stuff like that will be for for charitable reasons so we will do like a, a charity patch or something like that but it, you know we don't but it, you know there's no kind of royalties as such really associated with you know you know we don't send any money they allow us to do it because they know it's going to be in small quantities it's only going to be for members so it makes it pretty exclusive. So there are some, you know, some patch collectors who are desperate to get some of the patches <laughs> I've got because obviously they go back, you know, such a long way, you know, so. That's true. Well, you know, when I'm talking to Mark Newbold, you know, I, mm. and I hear you guys talk on, you know, making tracks all the time. And, and when we talk about this massive collection of him, and I kind of have to do this theater of the mind because I can't see what I can see behind you is something I've been staring at for the last oh, yeah. hour is some of this collection. And I know you um, talk about the figures a lot, but can we talk a little bit about your collection here and what you got? Okay. So uh, in fairness, actually my collection, uh, I mean, I so all hands down and like <laughs> cards on the table, my, my collection um, probably pales in comparison to Mark's by quite a bit. And uh, I've not seen Mark's cost, uh, collection actually um because although we we do the podcast and i i've seen video 
chats of, of him. I've never actually physically witnessed his his collection. <laughs> so I assume that it is for size, um, but he claims it is, and he hasn't just used <laughs> mirrors to make it look bigger. But he, but the thing is, he does have, uh, quite luckily, he has, like, I think the whole top floor of his house is is his collection, So, uh, which is basically the dream. And I think the one thing that all collectors, including Mr. Sansweet, I think all want more is space and mm-hmm. i and um <laughs> my collection is is kind of at that point whereby it's at maximum capacity so it's um it is a bit like marks in respects that i don't focus collect one specific thing i don't just physically collect um figures or books and stuff i have a smattering of just about every kind of like bit of star wars and i think that's quite cool because it means that it's uh, it kind of gives you a taste of everything so I have, um, well, over just over my shoulder. I, I'll turn the camera a little bit. So oh that goodness. is, so that is, yeah, the, that's the full kind of like basic vintage run of um, figures, loose figures, and that. I've got a whole kind of bookcase behind me, and I mean, this room isn't very big, um, and this was one of the reasons. This room is the reason why I moved up here to live with Karen was because she had an empty room that I could film. <laughs> so. <laughs> It sounds so, it sounds marvelous. Oh my gosh, like an empty room. Yeah, it, it, well, it was, and I looked and I came into it, and I was like, "Yeah, this will this will do. This will be big enough." And it's like, no. And we are, you know, we are currently talking about extending the house, and one of the reasons to extend the house out the back is so I can extend uh, my collection room into the garage, so we can kind of shorten the, the garage, and I can have more space. But I have, um, yeah, like a mixture. I've got some master replica kind of like blasters and um, lightsabers. I've got um, quite a few of the Star Wars Vintage Collection figures. That's, I'm primarily a three and three quarter inch figure collector over six inch. I, if I'm going to collect six inch, it's going to be kind of like more of a convention exclusives and stuff right. like that. Um, and partly that's just down to it's just down to space, really, because the boxes take up more space. And uh, I've got friends who do collect purely only Black Series figures. And the way they have to display them is obviously with the spine showing. Mm-hmm. And you don't actually see the, the figures actually for the big, you know, for the most part of those early uh, Black Series figures, you just see the numbers. So you just see one, two, three, four, five, six, up to whatever number they get to. And I figured, well, I kind of know how to count. So I don't think I need <laughs> these boxes. And uh, so so there's that. And I mean, I have like Power of the Force 2 figures, but everything's kind of in these uh, Ikea bookcases that you probably can't see. There's... Uh, there's one there for example so mm. that's mainly um the figures and you can even see so like the figures up if i point up there like those last couple of shelves they're battle vintage collection figures and they're literally just kind of face to face to kind of like so you can kind of get more into into the shelf um i have a like a complete run of uh, expanded universe hardback books and i'm up to date with the like the, the current expanded universe as well um and just bits and bobs i mean what's quite cool and i will spin my camera over again which is going to be so helpful to those listening <laughs> to this podcast but um some gorgeous yeah. prints up there as well we've got some frames and then um i really like how a lot of the shelves it, it either looks like you have some extra lighting or it's just how the lighting is hitting them oh um yeah it's, it's down lights so mm. just down lights but so if we go to that wall over there, we've got two really cool things. So the first thing is that Empire Strikes Back crew patch, which is uh, from the production. Oh, that's right. Up. And next to it, um, it's basically it's a, it was a 
this the force awakened steel bookcase um for the blu-ray which has been signed by adam driver daisy ridley uh john boyega basically the, the main sequel cast um and that was one of the amaze prizes they did back when the uh they did the amaze kind of giveaway and actually i got that we, we were lucky um, when we had Celebration Europe free here in the UK in 2016. Lucasfilm gave us one of those to raffle off. And I just happened to basically, it cost me like 100 raffle tickets, but <laughs> I won that. So, and I've got some other stuff. I've got crew jackets and crew shirts and stuff like that, which I kind of picked up along the way. Some of my friends have, you know, who work on the films and stuff, been kind enough to slip me a, a patch and a pin and, and what have you. And I do have a whole a whole drawer behind me, which is purely full of uh, trading cards and trading card sets. I was hoping because I saw I saw what looked like binders or something along those lines. I'm like, you know, be still my beating heart. Yeah, yeah. And so I've I mean, I've got kind of a a weird kind of. I mean, I don't know. I mean, probably for like the trading card collectors, they probably will hate me because I'm <laughs> I'm not a a trading card collector per se. I'm not a chaser, so. I will basically I just buy the base sets of stuff, and uh, we um, there's a, a few traders in the, uh, the UK who um, who just kind of attend like conventions, and they will have all these kind of trading card sets, kind of like uh, cellophane up, and you just right. look at them and just buy them. And you know some of them are actually quite cheap, like um, some of the Clone Wars stuff and what have you, kind of like the stuff between um, say 2012 and 2018, and that like 10 quid you know so that's about 15 dollars you pick up a full base set i've got um i think i'm only missing the orange set from a new hope mm. so um and i think for me that's one of the things that i tend to go back to every now and again is that i kind of have a, a kind of like a, a moment of of like interest where I'll, I'll buy some more gentle giant stuff and then like next month i might be like i actually quite fancy kind of like getting a few more kind of like soundtracks or uh media format stuff and and then the next one will be trading cards so kind of over the over the year i kind of collect bits and bobs in, in kind of like short starts and that so um i'm due to kind of have another trading card kind of like <laughs> um splurge shall we say and the orange set is the only set that i'm missing from the new hope i'm missing a few others from like empire and jedi um i think i've got the full run of galaxy uh cards nice from, which i wish i liked because again i I started collecting when I was about 11, 12, around like 92, 93. And so that kind of, that like Power of the Force 2, Shadows of the Empire kind of oh. era is is very kind of um, nostalgic for me, more so than the vintage stuff, actually, because the vintage stuff I only played with uh, secondhand when my, um, my friend's older brothers were getting rid of their stuff. My mum brought it off of them and... Um, but I didn't really kind of have the kind of connection to to Star Wars that I did when I was like 11 or 12. So that Power Force 2, kind of that mid-90s kind of like era is very kind of like nostalgic to me. So yeah, all the Galaxy figures, uh, sorry, Galaxy cards and stuff. And I've got a couple of, um, in fact, was it, uh, it the first one? It might be the first series, which comes in a Millennium Falcon kind of thing. You seen that? Uh, yes, there was there was a special like repackage of that. I, I I've seen that before, and I, and have almost almost have gotten it a couple of times because I do have a sealed box of of the first three galaxies. But it's yeah. also one of those. It's like a variation. It's like 
well, that's one I don't have. And then your yeah. collector mentality goes out. Yeah, I've, so I've got that over there, and I think I've nice. got another set, and I've got, um, yeah, a few Canova stuff. But, yeah, I haven't actually um, – I, I picked up the main kind of sets for the sequel trilogy and what have you, and um, but I haven't really brought anything recently until yesterday. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. So my, my, my good friend Elise has uh, – and I'm going to absolutely butcher her <laughs> surname. Elise uh, Gigalf, I think it is, from – I think it's Norway. Uh, she used to be a – she used to be Rebel Legion UK member, and she was over here studying and stuff, and she's moved back home. She's just been approved as a tops artist, and so I've just brought a artist-proof sketch off of her from the new tops series that's oh. coming out. Yeah. See, what I like about that is that, you know, supporting the artist, getting the artist proof because, you know, mm. you know, they don't make a ton from doing the actual, you oh, know, the sketch yeah, cards nothing. that everybody yeah. chases, but it's the ones they get back or the ones they're allocated to you know, do on that stock is where they do the bread and butter and, and hopefully get the commission. So good on you. If, if you buy yeah. one card this year, buy a sketch card. That, that's exactly. It. Yeah. So, I mean, and obviously what I can do is, uh, at least when I spoke to her last time, she still has some available. So I can always put you in touch if you fancy doing that. Oh. And, or, or even just get her on the podcast. I'm sure she'd probably love to talk about it. Cause probably. I mean, from a moment that I, um, you know, first met her at a, I think it was a Legoland event. Like, I don't know, 20, 14 15 one of the only things he ever wanted to do was to be an approved lucasfilm artist so the fact that she's kind of now that's happened you know i'm really i am really proud of her as a friend but also really happy for her as well so oh. and she's fantastic so absolutely yeah, would love to have her on the podcast the yeah. it, you know once you i i think you're the same way. I think once you get into and you see the Phantom and you really start getting outside these circles and you see just how many people in all different parts of the world, mm. uh, it's, it's, it's just really amazing that everybody has that little that tie that binds and then you go, you go wow, you do that too. Um, that, that's, the, that's the joy in it for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, and I've been lucky. Like the, uh, There was a guy who um, was at my first ever event that I attended in the Rebel Legion, which actually was a Legoland event. And he had an R2-D2. And, you know, so uh, I was wearing my Jedi costume. And I can remember the the, the guy who ran the uh, the Rebel Legion at the time, Jace, who actually was a founder. And he's he's still with he's with the club, Matt. So he's been with us for 20 years because this is our 20th anniversary year. Uh, I said to him, so what do I do? And he was like, just go out and have fun. And so I just uh, can remember standing at the main entrance just before the gates were opened. And there was basically, you could see all these kids and like all these family. And the gates opened and it was just like this onslaught. It was like something out of Lord of the Rings. So all these orcs kind of just, uh, just kind of. Anyhow, I was stood next to an R2-D2 and I don't think I moved for about a good three hours because everybody wanted to photo with me and R2-D2. Now, I say me and R2-D2. They probably wanted to photo with R2-D2, and I, but I just happened to be there. But anyhow, so that droid builder was a guy called Lee Towsey. And that name may be quite familiar to, to listeners because Lee basically went on and is now one of the like the, the main creature effects guys for, for Lucasfilm for the production. So he was he in charge of building R2 wow. in the sequel trilogy. Um, him and... Uh, Another uh, droid builder, uh, uh, yeah, Oliver, 
they built um, it for Force Awakens, and then Lee went on to do all the other films in that kind of Disney era. So, you know, worked on loads of different kind of droids for Solo and Rogue One, and obviously um, Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. And you know, he's that's his living now. You know, so he's taken that that job, well, that hobby that was just some, you know, something that was just you know a garage kind of hobby that he was just doing in his spare time. It's now you know a career, and and actually you know. In a in weird way, now he's going to conventions and being asked to you know to sign autographs and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's quite yeah, quite a complete kind of like three sixty for him. So which is fantastic. One thing that I really love and it's amazing, like you know, like as we have gone over a lot of these aspects, and um, mm. I'm happy that I've seen you had like a glass of water. Uh, there at the hand, because I feel like I'm really putting you through the ringer today. Oh, no, no, it's all, it's all good. Yeah. But I love, one of the things I like about listening to Making Tracks, you know, I, I'm, always, I'm a podcast listener, first and foremost, is that you and Mark really have a great, not only a great chemistry, but you complement each other as well. I mean, you can really get, in what seems like a short amount of time, so much information between, you know, Mark having all that, that, that news angle and then you sort of having you know, you've got the you got you've got the the rebel legion aspect you've got a collector's aspect i mean both to you know both kind of overlap a lot but it, it just really makes those um podcast episodes really nice can you can you kind of tell me how you kind of got started with that and and how do you, <laughs> how do you have the time for this um late nights i mean <laughs> i mean it's it's fair to say and i think a lot of people have probably said this about Martin Newbold. He is probably quite by far one of the busiest and most hardworking people in Star Wars fandom who pretty much gets li- little to no kind of credit for what he does. Um, and it's testament to the fact that obviously he's gone away. He went on holiday for like three weeks to America. Uh, and, you know, the amount of news that we were able to put out probably dropped quite a bit. <laughs> you know, we uh, we pre-recorded episodes for making tracks just, just because... Um, that then gave me a bit of a break as well. And actually, I started with making tracks, not so much by accident. I appeared on a couple of Radio 1138s as a guest with uh, James Burns and Mark Newbold back in before Mark created Fan for Tracks. And then I'd kind of semi-expressed, actually, I, I quite liked the idea of maybe doing a bit more of it more regularly. And then uh, Dave Tree, who was a previous co-host with Mark, stepped away from making tracks and at the time mark was thinking well maybe i'll just have a you know a rotation of people and uh just kind of rotate co-hosts in and stuff and i just happened to be the first one available and yeah it just it seemed to work so i came back the next week and the next week and the week after <laughs> <laughs> and and we were planning on only doing it like once i think it went maybe once a month or bi-monthly but because the pandemic hit we were like what else are we gonna do? So <laughs> we do one each week, and and now we're you know we've we're doing one each week plus um, Good Morning Tatooine, which is the the, the video kind of uh, stream right. that um, Brian hosts, and uh, we're now kind of branching out a little bit into a reaction kind of chat. So we're now doing kind of fairly off the cuff immediate reactions to um, episodes of Disney Plus that's kind of come out, and that was kind of something that I figured we needed to do because. Because uh, making tracks is weekly, and we would record on a on a Sunday, and it would come out on a Tuesday. If we spent too long speculating and talking about um, an episode of 
book of Boba Fett or Mandalorian. By the Sunday, obviously, you know, a lot of people's had that conversation on social media. And then definitely by the Tuesday, a lot of those immediate reaction kind of uh, podcasts have already come out. So we weren't probably saying anything new or different that you could probably hear in a number of different podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I was like, let's just do it. And actually, for me, it's normally a case of me taking my laptop and my mic to work and just kind of like squeezing it in at lunch. And, uh, you know, we kind of work, we kind of div- divided up the work pretty well. So I tend to do like a quick kind of pass on everything and just kind of... Uh, pull out any big kind of fluffs and uh you know pauses and stuff like that and then mark might go through it and he does like an edit for time so he you know we try to not let the podcast um even though the records tend to go over quite a bit considerably we tend to not kind of let a podcast go over 45 minutes because mm. for us we feel like 45 minutes is probably about the sweet spot for like people's attention and also I don't want to hear myself uh, for, you know, for more. Than I, that. I really hate um, to break it to you, Mark. We, we we blew past that, and I ain't taking any of this out. It's too good. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> fine. That's fine. You know, um, and so yeah, so you know, we we kind of that's how we do it. And I mean, also, I because I work in TV, and I've I've got a a fairly kind of strong background in live sound and stuff like that. So one of the things I really was keen on doing to bring to the uh, the podcast was to try and bring the production values up a little bit mm-hmm. as well. So we uh, we try not to, if we can, to use like Skype or Zoom to record because it compresses the audio too much. So what we would do is we re- both record like locally right. and then Mark sends it over. I can align it all up and uh, try and, like I said, just kind of get things kind of balanced as much as I can. Uh, I mean, it's always difficult because it's like, you know, we're not in an ideal environment. I'm in my collection room, Mark sometimes in his lounge, sometimes in his collection room or his bedroom. It all kind of depends on, you know, where his wife is at the time and stuff like that. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's good fun. I, and it's quite nice actually, because we both, I think have a similar kind of outlook whereby we're not, we try not to be kind of pandering to, you know, uh, right. to the franchise too much. You know, we don't want to kind of come across as being like, disney kind of shields and stuff like that but at the same time we also want to be a little bit kind of critical where it's justified you know um be it down to like what hasbro is offering or not offering or in and from a collector's standpoint as well from a kind of consumer standpoint like you know the quality of the goods as well mm-hmm. just but you know just because um you know disney kind of knocks out like a, a figure it's like whether or not you know doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to talk about it in a positive light if it doesn't warrant it you know so it's but it's trying to find a balance and i think that's where it's really really good for that i do like my own pass when he does it because there's there's been some topics that we've talked about and we've kind of gone into quite detail and thought it was all right jump the record but then actually jump the edit you kind of go no this sounds completely <laughs> like you know grumpy old men who you know the, like the slave one kind of renaming for example we kind of <laughs> we kind of did, yeah we weren't pretty kind of like yeah we were pretty un kind of like happy about that and it kind of showed and it was kind of like okay well we you know how much do you keep in and how much does it just sound like we're being moany old men and it's like then it's like well then actually that's not the kind of demographic we kind of want to appeal to because ultimately we want to try and be as kind of like um you know democratically kind of like fair to all walks of star wars life and that and so yes because mark is generation one star wars fan and i'm kind of generation two there's you know there's a slight difference of opinion and and perspectives but 
still we're kind of like you know 20 30 years into or 40 years into our kind of collecting kind of like mm. habits and stuff like that so it does kind of then breed certain kind of uh this predispositions to certain things so it's so but it's difficult but i think it's also difficult sometimes for me working in broadcast and i i work on a lot of documentaries and it's and you know it's about being objective and and not being i unbiased and stuff like that it's about trying to kind of like present the story as is and then maybe then add a little bit of speculation but it's only ever speculation you know right and we're happy to be wrong most of the time which we are (laughs) well and also you know and i have you know a little bit of a similar background way back Mm. uh with media and media production i think when you're at least you know for me, classically trained, it's about entertaining an audience. I always think yeah. of like you know, the audience first, and I think if you sound like you're having a good time, or you you know that if you have that genuineness come through, it's all gravy after that. But you know, yet yeah, with with the ear of you know, now one thing it's nice on the podcast we can go longer and i think there's an audience i do agree with you that there is a there's a sweet spot and sometimes i hit it sometimes i don't i think mainly just to have that catalog there but i I think it's always got to be about is this you know in having those opinions is it something that you don't want the the audience to kind of like grade on and like well you know I, i get this and it's feel free if you if you don't like a certain aspect or these films are not your bag but i think if you were trying to create content to make something that appeals to, but someone can still see a little bit of where you're coming from. That that's that's the that's the line. I think we we yeah. we, we we go along. Yeah, no, you're totally right. And I think also, you know, we we're reacting to what obviously we we see now. And I think sometimes if we're a little bit too critical, there's always a big chance, and it does happen. But actually, Lucasfilm and Disney kind of prove us wrong. You know, mm. and uh, and and that's the thing. Obviously, that's why we kind of moved the reaction chats to like a separate entity because then it's like you know these things will will date very quickly and obviously because most of the stuff that we do and be in making tracks is news related so um it is you know reaction to um casting announcements and it's like speculations on who a certain character is going to be or certain actor is going to be and stuff like that and you know I, I try and kind of keep track of all that so we can kind of <laughs> go back and kind of uh you know look at how wrong or right we were but um you know it, it I think also, you know, Star Wars community, and to be fair, I say Star Wars community, I mean, I'm a big James Bond fan, and, uh, you know, even after, like, um, No Time to Die kind of came out, you kind of saw this kind of, like, polarization of the fandom, and I think it's just inherent with social media and the world we live in. Everybody has an opinion, so everybody wants to voice their opinion. Um, But everything's very polarized, and I think, you know, if we can as podcasters kind of uh address certain level of negativity um and we get questions like this all the time how you know how can we make star wars more fun or like you know get rid of a negativity and it's like you can't but what you can do is you can tune it down or tune it out and maybe not go on twitter and look at fanfortracks.com or something like that mm-hmm. for your news and listen to rebel base card as a as a podcast rather than another one which can be a little bit more um negative and hypercritical and I think that's what you have to do. You have to kind of maybe choose your lane rather than try and, ex, you know, try and bring it, absorb it all in. But, you know, just kind of find where you're comfortable and then go down that route. I mean, me and Mark, the amount of times we've finished an episode and just kind of gone, 
that felt like a really good episode. And then there's been times when actually we've recorded and actually, you know, I'll be like, didn't quite, it, we weren't quite on kind of form tonight. <laughs> or, but then during the edit, you kind of listen back and kind of go, actually, yeah, that, no, that, that's quite good. And then, and then, you know, some of those episodes are the ones we get the stronger numbers. And, you know, it's, which is always a hard, you know, metrics is always a hard thing to kind of try and, uh, you know, wrap your head around a little bit because it's, you know, we're, we're on so many different kind of streams and channels and stuff like that. It's like you don't know which one's kind of, you know, people listening to more on and stuff like that. So it's, but we get a good idea. I, I love what you're saying there only because I think the feedback is if you can sit and listen to it and you go, you know, I know a lot of times, even with Marks, and I'm not pandering to him now, but some of the ones I go back and listen to over and over again, where you just like, there's so much information, especially from him, where you're yeah. just like, I'm, I'm getting my own personal Fanta tracks and I'm sitting here listening <laughs> to it. That I think it, it, it's a quality of like, yeah, if you can go back, no, that actually was a lot of good content in that. And it, it went really, really well, you know, edits, you know, edits notwithstanding. Um, but that, that, that I think I, I enjoy hearing. And it's, it's fun when you can go back and listen to it again, because it is this catalog that, you know, it's, we always kind of think of it as like, all right, we've recorded, we've edited, we posted, we've done, we moved on. But there's a lot of folks that will catch that particular episode, if at all, you know, days later, weeks later, mm. months later, I still go by and I still see things within the catalog going, wow, there's, there's people picking that up because that wasn't, you know, that wasn't where that episode was numbers wise a little while ago. And that, that never ceases to amaze me. Um, what I end up building is that you're building a catalog instead of, instead of just, you know, we think it's yeah. a burner, like a burner phone. Like we use it once and we're done and we move on. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, there's uh there's one podcast I'm listening to at the moment and uh, I kind of uh, jumped on fairly late in the day and uh, go, have gone back right to their first kind of like episodes and just listening to it. And it's like about five or six years ago. It's a James Bond uh, podcast. So it's a James Ooh. Bond radio, in fact. Yeah. And, um, and so it's interesting because they're kind of speculating and talking about stuff that, uh, you know, they were expecting or hoping to see in, in uh, Bond 24, which was a uh, uh, Spectre. And then it's, it's quite funny because you kind of go, <laughs> well, no, that didn't happen. <laughs> and that didn't happen. But, um, you know, and I suppose that's in some respects, it's quite interesting. And I mean, I've been a, uh, I still listen regularly to like rebel force radio but i've listened to them all the way back to force awaken uh force awakens uh no for force cast so back i think i started just around about celebration five and you know they after the, the sequel trilogy wrapped up i went back and listened to you know some of those kind of episodes where they speculated about stuff from you know two or three years before the force awakens or when the, the, the sale to disney kind of uh was first announced and it's like you know some of its stuff was like way off, <laughs> but actually, um, you know, it was a good shout and it still is at the time because like, you know, I think this is a thing. People sometimes think that we have greater inside knowledge and we do, but actually now more than ever, we, you know, we're, we're basically just almost just guessing based on the breadcrumbs out, you know, but we see anyway. So yeah, um, you, you, you kind of want it, to stand on its own as an episode and then hopefully people will return to it. And even if it is just to kind of go, well, these, these guys were so wrong, (laughs) you know, but I mean, but that's the thing, like you said, Mark is, um, because he writes a lot of the articles and stuff as well. He's kind of like, he, as he's writing the articles, I think he's thinking about what, you know, what the angles could be and stuff like that. And for me, I'm sometimes literally 
the first time I've seen a news article might actually be when we go to talk about it on the, on the record. You know, for the big stuff anyway, I'm not up to date. But every now and again, there'll be a, a story we're going to talk about which has just gone completely over my head or just completely missed it. And so you're kind of, you're reacting literally live on on the record. So those are the episodes where there's probably a lot more ums and ahs and, <laughs> and stuff. But, you know. I, I almost feel guilty of asking um, mm. as, as we start to kind of wind this down, and, and yeah. you've, you've been amazing. Um, I'm sure every con, like I said, I don't want to draw this out another half hour. I feel bad. No, that's for you. fine. Yeah, but I like no, don't man. Worry. Yeah. Each each con seems to probably have so many different ways you could attack it. Yeah, I mean, because that's the thing. One of the things that we look at is uh, when there's a convention, who's going to be there, and what's the, the chances that we can. Sp- spend five or ten minutes chatting to an interview and you know a signer or something like that right. and the good thing is that for because i'm the boss as well um <laughs> if i need to kind of wander off for like half hour an hour and get an interview with like a, you know a star wars sign or something like that it i can do but also a lot of the events that i i run myself for the club try and kind of like take the foot off the pedal it's kind of like you know some conventions, they, we don't need to be, you know, on it 24-7. You know, right. the whole point is you've got to have fun. And if you kind of, if you have members who feel like they're basically turning up and having to kind of like work their weekends for for basically no pay, then there's no fun. You've got to find ways to have, you know, have fun. So I kind of tend to say to my guys and girls is that, look, if you want to go and get a autograph or something, just do it but try not to spend too long because normally we have a table in the booth and so it's more about covering that aspect so you know right um but also it can be depending on the conventions it can be difficult to just rock up to a signer and say oh can we spend 10 minutes having a quick chat with with you for the podcast you know depending on on who's booked them and stuff like that some of them are very kind of gracious and will give you the time maybe the time at the table others um will they're happy to kind of go and find somewhere quiet and you can have a, a, a nicer chat and others you you run you know through hoops and what have you for like a good part of the day to, to you know by dealing with maybe um the staff at the convention then f- to be told actually no you can't have it so but that's kind of that's the nature of what it is really so you know um and also i think now because we're in such a kind of fertile ground for um star wars content there's more people attending events there's more access to the the cast and the crew and stuff like that so actually you know if we don't get them at one convention we you can get them at another it's, it, yeah, it doesn't true. feel like you know whereas before i think sometimes you'd have to kind of put all your eggs into like one or two conventions you know there nowadays there's so many up and down the country there's probably a convention most weekends in the uk so you know there's there's access to some of these cast and crew yeah at smaller events which is kind of good for us because then if it's quieter they spend more time chatting to you and stuff like that so excellent which is, excellent which is perfect oh I, I could keep going on but uh no, I, by all, I... honestly as long as you want to or as long as <laughs> i mean this hasn't been if it makes you feel any better this has not been the longest record that i've i've taken part in so this is uh, this is just the first. I, I would say I, I felt bad. I was like, you know, if I get too, if I start to, if I start to get like Mark on again, and, and Mark's always fun to have on. Uh, I I try to get him on, uh, you know, around the same time each year because I just like yeah. 
the perspective of having that the whole year and and once again kind of mm. having your own personal fanta tracks just because you know i i can focus on one thing or i i can talk about cards and you know community and and all that kind of stuff but i know that you know i i do not have time for the for the a lot of the books and the comic books and everything that you know, I rely on a on a site or on on a bunch yeah. of folks like yourselves that can can fill that void for me. I don't have to. I I I couldn't be that podcast or that that site or whatnot. And so it's nice just to have. I can have my focus and I can br- branch out when I will. But um, it's it's something where I like I I just am on sometimes of just these people that can can do all this and ingest all this. It, it, no, you're right. It's amazing. I mean, we struggle. We. I mean, for me, I'm lucky that. I have like a two-hour commute to work mm. one way, so sometimes four hours of like driving to work in a day and back. So that means that I can do a, a thirteen-hour audio book in a week, <sighs> Jeez. which is yeah, which <laughs> pretty much sometimes. So um, so that's quite helpful. But if I was if if I didn't do such fantastic audio books and I had you had to read everything, I would be stuffed. I mean, I have literally probably got about a stack of about this big of what's that it's about six or seven inches of comics that i haven't read yep. i mean because i so i pay for my comics monthly so I, i've got a subscription for a, a a store that it's actually quite far away now but um they they do really good service and i pay for monthly they send them over to me and for the last under two or three months maybe longer probably this year they've just sat on the coffee table and the piles increased and increased and increased <laughs> Just haven't had a chance to read, so I, I kind of now need to sit there and probably kind of spend a good day just kind of trying to catch up, at least on some of the main kind of like uh, storylines. But it is difficult with more content. There's you know more avenues to do you know branch out and stuff like that, and uh, makes it harder. I mean, it's it's fantastic if if you've got the time and you can consume it all, then great. But if you can't, mm-hmm. I think sometimes um, we we can't penalize people and i think the high republic is a good example of that i don't now uh, and i used to once upon a time but i don't kind of collect any like junior books so anything below like a a ya kind of like young reader book i don't tend to collect and that was again a space reason more than uh anything else to do with the actual quality of the content but i'm i'm glad that with the high republic even if you just stick to the main like three or four adult books each year, you kind of, you get enough of a story to kind of like keep right. up with what's going on. About. Um, but every now and again, there's a crossover in a comic or like in a book and you're like, I have no idea where this character's come from. And then you have to go and Wikipedia of, and work out who, <laughs> where, it, you know, who that character is and that. But it, I mean, it's difficult. And I think, you know, it's, it's a great thing to have a, like a publishing program like the high republic um but also it's a bit of a it it does sometimes make me kind of go well this is just purely just a a money-making thing because like if you're buying the adult books why would you probably be buying the kids books if you're like a like a uh like a a mid-40s kind of guy like me who doesn't actually have his own kids you know i don't sit and read kind of books to my kids and stuff like that right but but then it's like you kind of almost feel compelled that you need to buy this to kind of keep up with it, you know. And but then you kind of I think you suddenly learn, especially when you start seeing actually how much money's coming out of like um, your bank account each month, as to um like you know how much money you spend on Star Wars. And then you kind of go, well, maybe I don't necessarily need to get every single vintage uh, collection figure or every single book. 
and then you kind of find a comfortable spot you know it's, it's like with the trading cards you know i'd love to have every single kind of like you know have a uh, the base kind of set for each one. I mean, I don't necessarily need, need like the parallel sets and stuff like that and all the variant kind of sets. But if I could have every like just one of like the main sets, I would be quite happy. And I think that's probably relatively manageable. I think, but you'd have to spend a bit of time, you know, and a bit of dedication to do it. So uh, that's a good thing. And something like I said, we've talked about as far as honing your collection, because after a while, everybody has a Rancho Obi Wan of their own. Yeah. And you start to go, I think after a while, if you kind of listen to it, as it were, you can listen to your collection, you can start to see what really, what really you attach yourself to and one mm. things you picked up just because, oh, it looked really cool and I picked it up, but maybe you don't have an attachment. Like I said, you know, who doesn't have a drawer now full of patches? I'll still get every one because I think the patches are amazing. But <laughs> then you go, then it just becomes, like I said, it, it's a, we all have now have a space issue. And you know the, the <laughs> how many extra rooms, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's just something I think as and as we start to age further, and like I said, you you know you mm-hmm. come from a generation a little younger, Mark and I, but you know it, it starts to, after a while you start to go now what happens maybe as we start to get towards the middle age, past middle age, and in, in the in the end years, okay, how do we curate, move this on, maybe get some things to. Yeah people who would appreciate it more i always like when i hear things i'm like i think i know now where my uh recently acquired moonraker set of tops cards may have to go <laughs> oh uh, nice 100 cards by the way oh I, wow it still yeah. amazes me i just picked that up but i'm like you know maybe maybe i'll get an address and go all right maybe i know now who would be very happy with that except that, that later on down the line but yeah otherwise does it all end up in the garbage or gets into an estate sale well, or things like that but i mean that is a risk and the biggest risk I, I know i have and probably a lot of um listeners will will probably um agree with me is the risk that actually if i die before karen dies then she's going to sell it for the, the price i told her it cost me when in actual fact it didn't cost me <laughs> it didn't cost me 20 quid in, on ebay it was a lot more you know so <laughs> You know, there's, there's a risk. But also, actually, it's funny because I can remember talking to Dave Tree at a convention and he said, you, you know, you, you know what, basically, it's, it's, it's just a race. It's a competition to, to see who can die with the most amount of stuff. <laughs> that's like, true, true. That's true. Because, I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, I've, I've in, I have actually just done my will or at least updated my will a little bit. And there are some items that I have willed to my like my my nieces and nephews and you know i i think other than my my oldest nephew who's only about eight or nine they've not seen star wars but it's like that's the stuff you know and we're talking about like the the master replica lightsabers and stuff Mm. like that but there go but you know i yeah after that you just kind of go i have no idea i mean who who wants yeah who wants like um a load of like Star Wars bendems and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> I mean, there are people who do want Star Wars bendems. Don't don't get me wrong, but you know, it's. Uh, I think it's actually harder sometimes, um, from experience anyway, when you try to sell a collection, i.e., like a whole wave of like figures or something. It's harder sometimes to sell those than it is to sell individual figures. And I've caught myself several times, um, and it happened when I moved in. I sold a load of stuff off because I didn't have space. I literally, the boxes in in the house went all the way down through the hall into the kitchen. And I couldn't move in this collection room. And I just stood there. And I was like, do you know what? I have no idea how I'm going to put anything out because I have no space to actually put anything anywhere. So I had to just go 
go for a walk for a good half hour just to kind of clear my head and came back and said, <laughs> like, right, you know what you need to do, Molecaster? You're going to have to sell some stuff. So I picked some stuff. I was like, right, anything that doesn't fit on the display stuff and I don't want out clearly is stuff that I can live without. So let's sell it on. The problem with that was I then rebrought it. And of course, when I rebrought it later on, I paid more money for it. So I've oh. since decided that anything that I sell, well, actually, I'm not going to sell anything anymore. I'm just going to, you know, until I get to a point where I get so fed up and I just get rid of it all, I think, you know, and just kind of, uh, I've tried it once before. I got rid of all my figures, barring the vintage collection. I got rid of all the kind of uh, the, the prequel era figures and all that kind of stuff, sold them all off with the idea that I was going to have what I call, quote unquote, an adult collection. So stuff <laughs> like the like sideshow kind of figures, you know, the ones which cost, you know, a good few hundred like bucks a, a time. But after a while, it's like, actually, I quite quite like a Boba Fett figure and then you get a Boba Fett figure and then as you said already you get you know you get another one and then it becomes a bit of a collection and then you know it snowballs and you end up with a, a room full of stuff so yeah I don't know but <laughs> in in the subsequent talks that that uh, I hope we get to have yeah. I, I think what I'll the only the only request I'll make is um, just put the camera at a different angle, so that way I, I can enjoy more seeing more of the collection, but seeing a different different angle of it and seeing what yeah. you're doing. Like I said, every time I talk to Mark, it's theater of the mind, and you go, okay. Yeah. Um, and I think that this is what I'm gonna have to put on you guys. I'm like, I think you're gonna have to demand he turn the camera on because I'm like, why well, not? Why not get that? Well, we have enjoy. we have talked about with uh, Brian that we were going we might do some video like as live or live making tracks episodes instead of having good morning tattooing every week we might actually do some making tracks episodes live on on youtube and facebook and stuff so you might get your wish and i will <laughs> but it's it's one of those things because then it becomes production values because actually even though this is a 2021 macbook pro the webcam is pretty bad on it i think it's not particularly great and um, i'm kind of like you know i'm a bit of an apple kind of uh, fan fanboy but i am pretty disappointed by the webcam that they've crammed into this uh macbook pro and so. i'm right back at you i have a 24 inch yellow imac uh mm -hmm. you know that uh, i was able to get and yeah the webcam it has its moments but uh you know it's not uh, it's not the best camera yeah and, uh, yeah i need need some more light and need to get some like ring lights or something in here and yeah so but yes we will do that and i will pass on the <laughs> feedback to mark to say mark you know make sure you've shaved and uh, you're wearing clothes. That's probably what it is. He's probably sat in his boxer shorts and nothing else. That's probably why he doesn't want to put his camera on. Yeah, know, speaking but... of which, I do need to. Uh, I do need to shave before <laughs> I go into work today. Yeah. Um, but at any rate. And, but also, we need to get you on onto making tracks. Next time there's oh like goodness. a. Well, no. Next time that there's a, uh, you know, some some tops trading news on some collecting car new news and stuff, we should get you on because, uh, you know, it's always good to have an expert on and. You know, so. <laughs> well, it, the only thing I can do is I can talk at volume. I think I make up, I make up, you know, quality with quantity. So yeah, I'm uh, the same. So <laughs> yeah. But anyway, no, I'll ask. I'll have to also bring out. Um, I was thinking of you as you were talking about. Mm. Uh, I do have a sealed box of Shadows of the Empire tops that. Oh, nice! I yeah. could not break myself to crack open, and it mm. was funny because you know sometimes you go back, and I was, I was looking yesterday as I was kind of like doing a little cleaning, going. I have a box of, and then I was saying like, all right, if, if you now forgotten what you have, then, you know, all right, there's a little bit of a, you're like, 
oh, I do have that. Oh, good. I'm glad I have that now. Um, yeah. As I went back yeah. for some of those 90s sets that I didn't have because I was on the other side of the Pacific at the time. And so I okay. didn't collect I didn't collect cards, but I, I certainly went in a, been in a position to pick, pick up a lot of that stuff, including you know all the galaxies. And so all, all I'm saying is now I'm happy I picked up what I did before things got a little nutty. And they're, yeah, yeah. and they're currently nutty because a lot of those sealed boxes that I do have now, I got they're, they're at least double, in some cases, triple of what wow. I paid for them. And that wasn't that long ago uh, yeah. to get them. And I'm just happy. And they'll, they're, as far as like when you're talking about cubic feet, they're almost perfect. Is If I take them out of the box, they create more space because then you got to put them in a binder or thing like that. Almost in their in their original form sealed boxes. That's the perfect that's storage mechanism compact. for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. But you know, it's not just trading cards, is it? I mean, uh, I was talking to Brian the other day, and he he's obviously a huge comic book and well, just like anything printed Star Wars. He's a massive collector and knows just like you know so much about not only like um, expanded universe stuff, but like you know the industry and that. But the price of comics at the moment, like all, all these first like first appearances and stuff like that, um, and you know for recent comics and like Doctor Aphra and stuff like that, and the prices have just gone absolutely bonkers. And it's I mean it's kind of like reciprocal because it's partly just down to people you know willing to pay such crazy prices, but then the prices go up. And that, you know I mean I'm probably sat in in, in my garage because I keep all my comics in a big kind of filing cabinet in the garage and I'm probably easily sat on a good few grand of like, um, like, you know, first appearances and they're just in like a standard bag and board and, you know, I have no kind of compunction to sell. Um, but you just kind of think, well, you know, if I, if I needed to liquidate some stock, that's probably what I would do. I think, you know, um, not the vintage collection because yeah, that is one of those things that will, I think will always kind of increase in price really, you know, based on the age and that, um, and also as um, good quality vintage figures and, and play sets and stuff get, you know, added to people's collection, they get removed from the market. So it becomes, you know, more scarcer. But like some of this stuff is so mass produced. It's like you just need to maybe be a bit more patient and then mm. a, a decent kind of like deal will come up. But, yeah, I need to now double check to see if I've actually got that Shadows of the Empire set actually as well. So we had a chance to talk with uh, myself and a, you know, Fabio Fiore of Tatooine Times got to talk with mm. Greg Hildebrandt. Uh, him and his brother uh, worked on the paintings that were the, the basis of that Shadows of the Empire top set. And uh, still amazing. He's still going at it at, at his mm. age. He, he's, he's a bit up there. Um, but yeah, it's one of those where I had completely missed that whole event being overseas. And then you start, as you yeah. start digging into it, and you're going, oh my gosh. And, and that whole time, and I, I do like, just as the prequels got their love, a lot of this, a lot of this, you know, like the legends material, like basically, you know, the the eighties and nineties before the prequels, you know, I think you're just seeing more and more love go back in them because that's just a whole different realm. Like I said, a topic yeah. for uh, a topic for a, a different day, but um, it, it's fun to have them. And then you have to, of course, well, if I have a seal, then I have to have a, a loose set so I can go through it. And then that's that's where that's where it gets into. Yeah, <laughs> that's when it starts to get a bit crazy. Absolutely, mm -hmm. yeah. So. But yeah. um, I, I mean, I used to, at, at one point, I was a one to open and one to, to keep mint kind of collector. <laughs> it didn't last very long because 
you know not only is your money kind of um expenditure kind of doubling it's also your space rapidly kind of like decreases and just like what am i going to do with it you know um and so actually now nowadays i used to for all the gentle giant stuff all that kind of stuff i used to kind of keep all the boxes and stuff i, I keep the coas now but i get rid of the boxes because i'm like i'm not planning on selling it and the only reason why you'd keep a box is probably to sell it on you know with the exception of my razor crest which is still in its uh, <gasps> shipping shipping box i've not not oh. even opened it out for that yet so um because i have nowhere to put it and i i figured keep it like that until i've got somewhere to display it properly and then you know it's I can get it out and stuff, but until that day, it can sit in its brown, boring cardboard box. So. <laughs> <laughs> if you have to ever leave town, you can you can liquidate that as well. Yeah, you, you're lucky you got the Razor Crest and not the 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 the, the, the Desert Skiff. Uh, that would have that would have been big a big box. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because like I saw that, but I don't know. It's just. I think the the action figure collection me was just like, well, yeah, it's just not a very exciting ship, whereas a Razor Crest just looks cool. You know, it's just, there's more to it. I mean, because I'm not a diorama kind of guy and stuff, I'm not going to put figures in into the ship and stuff. You know, I would probably, again, just kind of keep in its box, which is, you know, sacrilegious really to some extent. It's why I don't collect Lego because otherwise I just have all these boxes of unmade Lego and that's probably the, you know, the most cardinal sin I would imagine for most Lego collectors, you know, you've got to make stuff and if you're not going to make stuff then what's the point really, you know, having it. So, you know, and, and we don't even get into the dusting of, of stuff. Once you, uh, once I noticed like having the Legos out yeah. and having to go back through and then finding cases because the Legos need, but yeah, that's a whole other thing. So, uh, the... compressed air canisters. That's what I use, and <laughs> yeah, that that gets rid of like gets rid of most of the dust, and most of the, the nooks and crannies of uh, stuff. Because yeah, it's amazing how fragile some some of the stuff is. Oh you know, so, yeah. <laughs> you blast something, and then you then then that uh, Kenner blaster uh, goes flying across the room. Then you spend the rest of the day looking for a little black piece of plastic. Oh, yeah, exactly. So about a piece of plastic cost me 150 pounds. You know, it's like God's sake. That's why it's behind a glass case. You know, so it's 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 not hermetically sealed, but it's pretty close. So I've I haven't opened up that case for yeah donkeys donkeys years. Just a uh, there's there's figures in there that have fallen over. I think EV EV99 has uh, fallen over and stuff. But he can stay there or she can stay there. I don't know what the gender is for that, Freud. Anyhow. <laughs> At any rate, um, oh my goodness! Um, when you when when, um, when people are trying to find you, and mm-hmm. what's interesting is what you know you're working for Sky, you're, you're doing the Revolution. Where is the best place someone can find you and reach out? Because um, I know I'm going to have to have you on a, at least a couple more times because there's yeah. just uh, follow up questions amongst that. But uh, where do you interact if if and when you have time to interact? Uh, so I have. A Twitter account that I very, very rarely check. So probably never Twitter, Instagram, or probably Facebook. Because actually, Facebook, I believe at the moment, I'm I am still the only Mark Mulcaster on <laughs> Facebook, which wow. is quite a yeah, which is pretty cool. I mean, uh, but it means I'm quite easy to find. But um, yeah, people can drop me a, a line there, drop me a message there. Um, Instagram. You can follow me. I am at M Mulcaster. And of course, um, if you want to follow any of the stuff about Rebel Legion, uh, it's like at Rebel Legion or 
the UK one is at Rebel Legion UK, and we have like a website which is rebellegion.co.uk. And if you want to join the forum, rebellegion.co.uk forward slash forum. Wow. Not very, uh, you know, imaginative, <laughs> but you know, it it does the job. So yeah. So, and I I tend to quite happily add anybody. So if they want to drop me a message first, that would be good to say hi. Listen to to you on a podcast for a very long time and uh, <laughs> still want to talk to you then they can do so now this is this has been a real a pleasure and it's funny because i remember you know we'd had this scheduled up and then i i had had it in my head it was the next weekend and you're like were we supposed to talk and i'm like oh my gosh <laughs> yeah. i can't believe i did that um so you more than made up for uh, you more than made up for uh, the rescheduling and uh oh that's all right i mean i Ironically, I did only realize the day after we were meant to record. So it wasn't like, you know, I was like sat waiting, kind of going, where is he? It was a day after. It's like, oh, shoot. Should have, shouldn't we have done that? But, but uh, I only I only wish you, you know, many you know, basically nice, you know, sunny, not so hot trooping days ahead. Thank you. Um, yes. I think it's probably the best thing you can say to someone who puts on a hot suit is like, may it be, you know, just slightly overcast and 70. <laughs> Yes, and with a nice breeze. With yeah, nice that breeze. always helps. Yeah, gets rid of the funk quite easily. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I look like I said, I look forward to listening to you and Mark on the on the podcast on uh, making tracks and uh, whatever else you guys are going to be working on uh, yeah. this year. I do enjoy the recap shows because, um, like I said, I think it always seems like when I'm done with an episode of making tracks, I'm like, oh man, that's it. Um, just seems like there's just so much more, but. Uh, just keep us coming back for more. But uh, I, I appreciate what you guys do, and it's amazing in talking to you today just how much you're doing and uh, what you're doing for the fandom. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, and thank you very much for having me on. It's been it's been good fun. And for anybody who hasn't listened to an episode of Making Tracks, then why not? But obviously, um, Making Tracks, you can kind of get on most of the... Uh, podcast players and stuff we tend to drop the episodes on tuesday evening and i believe our reaction chats will happen the day of the uh any kind of like event for star wars on disney plus and stuff but also i think thursday and fridays we we will tend to have episodes of our other fan for tracks um podcast so we have like planet layer um fan for from down under and desert planet discs they tend to drop uh monthly on i think a friday i think so should check those out as well because that's some really cool content and stuff like that and if i'm not mistaken there's a there's an app right there's also a free fan for tracks app (laughs) (laughs) sorry i had to i had to do that i had to do that no that's fine yeah Uh, but but I, let me just say that was one of those things that I, I started and <laughs> it soon became one of those regular things that I have to now do and every now and again I have to come up with like a, a really interesting one and so yeah I've kind of made a rod from my own back on that one but you know. nah nah that's like I said I think one of the things about listening to podcasts you know you start to kind of follow the people regardless of what the content is after mm. a while and it is kind of fun to have those little connections to yeah even if they don't realize you know what that might mean so it's always uh, that's always kind of fun but yes uh i was kind of hoping i'd get that but anyway <laughs> i will <laughs> i'll let you go for now we'll get you back on at some point later after uh, a lot of things have happened and uh, catch up and uh more and more questions but this has been a treat brilliant thank you very much greg you look after yourself mate can I offer you a libation to celebrate the closing of our shared narrative? Once again, my thanks to Mark for being on the program tonight. It was a pleasure to get a chance to talk with him 
and just a wealth of knowledge. I uh, can't wait to have him back again. And, and this, I think this is worth uh, multiple listens. There was just so much information in this that it's going to take me a while to, to kind of process it all. Uh, but uh, what an amazing uh, conversation. All right, I'm going to let uh, Card Squadron taken out, and we'll catch you again soon. The Rebel Base Card Podcast focuses on cards, collecting, and the Star Wars community, and appreciates you coming along for the ride. If you have any feedback for this episode, you can reach out to the program in a number of ways. You can leave a comment on the Instagram post for this episode. You can also DM Greg on Instagram at Rebel Base Card. Make sure to also follow the Rebel Base Card on Twitter and Facebook at Rebel Base Card. If you want, you can send an email to greg at rebelbasecard.com. And you can find show notes for this and all episodes on the website rebelbasecard.com. In the Star Wars Card Trader app and just about every other one, you can find Greg at CornFedTech. The Rebel Base Card uses the hashtag CardSquadron as a way to alert friends about cool cards and recent drops in the galaxy far, far away. It's a great way to bring our community a little bit closer together and help one another finish our sets in time. We collect, communicate, and commiserate. Well, at least when we run out of credits or crystals to spend on our digital collections. Join the fun, even if all the other cool squadron names were already taken. And remember, we collect as one and would be honored if you join us. And if you are a sketch card artist or Star Wars artist or collector, cosplayer, and want to talk about your work, your craft or passion, drop Greg a line. I'm sure he'd love to hear your story. You can also help the show by leaving a comment or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you got this episode. Otherwise, the mission is clear. Keep those cards out of the hands of the Empire, and the Rebel Base card will return soon. The music for this podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons license from Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. This is Discipline off the album The Slip. This podcast is not affiliated in any way with Topps, Disney, or Star Wars, nor is it endorsed by Disney or Lucasfilm, and is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds and any other related items are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders here in the U.S. and abroad. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com.